Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Michael. I'm Noah. And we are the Knights of Entertainment, a podcast covering your favorite and unknown movies, games, comic books, anime, and more weekly. We appreciate you being here and hope you enjoy the show. Let's go ahead and get started. All right, everybody, let's start with some uh, weird news. So we started in uh, Leeds, Alabama. This happened yesterday. Oh, God, that's recent then. Yeah, I, I looked them up today <laughs> to make it more recent. Uh, anyway, so uh, Thursday night, a, a 42-year-old man uh, crashes outside a Bass Pro Shop. He crashes outside the Bass Pro Shop. This sounds like a story from uh, Florida. <laughs> he crashes outside the Bass Pro Shop. He gets out of his car. He strips butt naked, runs inside, and does a cannonball into the uh, giant aquarium they have in there. But why? I don't know. They didn't ask him. <laughs> they just arrested his ass real fast. Didn't no, the cops get there. Five minutes later, he's been in the water. He gets out of the water, cusses him out, and jumps back in the water. <laughs> so he's basically charged with public lewdness, disorderly conduct, and criminal mischief. I mean, they could have gotten him on a few more things, too, but at least they gave some leeway. 42 years old, still acting childish. Crazy, huh, some people? See, they could have got him for a sexual uh, sexual offender, too. They probably will. You think so? Well, I mean, I guess it depends on the circumstance. Like, the, well, I mean, uh, You know how they're, like, strict in certain areas now? Like, like, it's Alabama, so. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, point taken. <laughs> point taken. Look, I take a lot to take a sexual offender strike there. I retract everything that I said. <laughs> Sorry, Alabama, but come on. Come on. You were the one of the last ones with, like, the statue of limitation or, like, the the, le- the legal limit of sex, right? It's, like, super low back then. You were, like, the last ones to raise it back to 18 or up to 18. Come on. It's, like, 13 or some shit. Stop calling. Wasn't it? What's, the, what's this? Uh, what is it called? The uh, age of consent. Yep. Like they had one of the lowest in the country for a long time. I mean, not like Japan's age 13. But probably 12 or 13. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like Japan. Yeah. Uh, now we move on to Beijing, China. Okay. Oh <laughs> we go from Alabama to China. Yeah. Uh, uh, so this Chinese player, he's suing the National Association for their, uh, th- this Chinese chess player. They have their own, like, Chinese chess. Right. I don't know what it's called. I don't feel it's like Chinese checkers. <laughs> uh, so he's suing the National Association for Mental Distress because they stripped him of his title. And uh, basically what happened was this player named uh, Yan Shenglong, he was celebrating his win with some of his friends, like uh, f- uh, fellow uh, uh, players. Mm-hmm. They were at the hotel. Uh, they, got, they, they were drinking wine. He had a little drunk. And he ate something that really caused him some bad stomach problems. So he went, he went to the bathroom, but he didn't make it. And he took a dump in the bathtub. So uh, I don't know how people found out about it. I guess the other players told on him or something. So he doesn't make it to the bathroom, and he dumps it out in the bathtub. And so basically, uh, after an investigation, it was found that he uh, is uh, accused of damaging hotel property. <laughs> that was Violating public order and good behavior and negative impact on the tournament. And so he's suing them because of, uh, for mental distress because of losing his title, ruined his life. But negative behavior? It's China. I mean, they're very strict with their behavior out there. But then again, they have the uh, social credit system, too. Exactly. Which, I'm so, it won't. Which is like Black Mirror, is it not? Yeah. It's like a Black Mirror movie episode, yeah. if I remember correctly. And there's people that want to bring that shit here. Hell nah. Fuck. I'd have a negative 80, 100 on my head. <laughs> the most negative number you can get. Like, how low can I go? The ludicrous. All right, so that is it for the news today. Two quick little stories that I found hilarious. There is one with a Dunkin' Donuts blowing up in someone's face, the toilet, but it's all. Oh. Oh, God. Should I? Let me tell that story. 
Anyway, uh, last year, the story came out like a couple days ago, but it was like a, a record, the court record from last year. Right. Uh, this guy went to a Dunkin' Dunkin' Donuts in Florida. And uh, of course, he goes into the bathroom and he, he the, bla- the the toilet just blows up in his face. Out of nowhere? Yeah, just like toil- uh, uh, feces, urine, uh, debris, just all over him. He comes out of the he comes out of the bathroom like help me. <laughs> and then, what what do you do if you're a 16 year old kid working at Dunkin' Donuts right behind the counter and some guy comes out the bathroom? Ah! <laughs> Swamp monster? Yeah, what is this shit just all over you? What are these children supposed to do <laughs> behind the counter? You come out covered in shit. Give you a little napkin off the counter. Here you go. The weirdest thing is, is when they were uh, asked about it, like the uh, the reporter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I asked for a comment from the Dunkin' Donuts. Like we we are aware of the problem. <laughs> well, even you're aware of the problem. You're aware, blow- <laughs> you're aware that a toilet blows up and you didn't put out of water. <laughs> we are aware of the situation. They are. Yeah, that's exactly what like, we are aware of the situation. <laughs> We're looking into it. So, so the most surprising part is that, uh, it was a Dunkin' Donuts and not a Taco Bell. Yeah, no kidding. Imagine if it was a Taco Bell. Maybe it's, maybe it's next to a Taco Bell. <laughs> and they collect up both toilets. Somebody fucked up that entire super line. To this day, I swear that I took a. I, I was sick one time and I couldn't go to the bathroom. And uh, after a month, I had to get like medical treatment to, and I dumped it all out, right? A month worth of feces in my toilet. I, I was sick with something, people, don't worry. I'm 100% now. And I swear I've ruined this whole fucking sexy system, this whole, the whole neighborhood. I swear to you. <laughs> no toilet's been the same. I think it was me. <laughs> I blew out half the this whole neighborhood's bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, so he's you know he's he's only suing for a hundred thousand dollars. That's what I'm thinking. Like that's a like for you know like emotional biohazard, yeah. emotional distress. Imagine like that is going to traumatize you for the rest of your life. Probably not. every time you walk into a public restroom. You know, I just said like probably not, but come to think of it, I can't have birds fly over my head. Yeah, you know why? Because one day I stepped out of Barnes & Noble with my brand new books, like, la, 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 and a bird took a shit on my head. See? And I've never been the same since. <laughs> so imagine walking past a public restroom where it's like, oh, shit. Where you just kind of skitter on by. <laughs> like, is it going to blow up in my face? That would, you probably have to go to porta potties because you can't flush those. But yeah, man, but they can get the, enough. The, the, stu- the stuff you see in there <laughs> just sitting on the top. <laughs> Looking right back at you. <laughs> so that is it for the news <laughs> hope you enjoyed we'll be back for more next week now we move on to a personal story which I found hilarious that happened to me and uh, uh story time I do a lot of uh I, I, I get a lot of books and movies from Amazon cause like instead of going to a an actual store cause I'm lazy for one <laughs> and like ber- or perusing everything like oh look at this look at that like I just do it. You can do it like for hours on Amazon. Like that's a good movie. That's a good movie. Like, but it's hard to find DVDs sometimes, right? Because they push their Amazon Prime subscription thing. And so uh, I, f- I recently fell back in love with this old show that I used to watch when I was younger called The Girls Next Door. Remember the show with the three blondes that Hugh Hefner was dating? It was on E. It sounds. <clears throat> they do a podcast now, by the way. Really? Yeah. So if they're up for it, let's do an interview. <laughs> Uh, we can interview both of them because only two out of the three are do- are part of the podcast. The other, they had a falling out with the third one, and uh, so I, I decided like it was. I was going through and I found the season one, 
uh, on uh, on uh, oh, this because of Tubi. That's why it was on Tubi, the girls next door. And I was like, oh, I remember that show. And I was watching it, and it was all censored, right? So I'm like, let me get all the uncensored DVDs. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> So I get the DVDs. I get season one. It's fun. Plus, there's commentary, which is nice. So you get you get a little background information on what's going on. Right. And uh, so I'm like, oh, cool. So let me get season two. So I order season two from a Goodwill. I won't say which one. <laughs> from a Goodwill? Yeah. Oh, God. All the Goodwill. There's like hundreds of Goodwills on there. Goodwill of North Carolina. I've gotten like 18 bucks from Goodwill of Seattle. <clears throat> oh, I'm sure there's freaky stuff from Seattle. No, I, I only got the uh, those case closed anime or manga ah. with the you know the uh, uh, what's it called in Japan? Uh, it's called uh, uh, Detective Conan. Yeah. Uh, so I ordered it from uh, 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 will be dis- dis- uh, what's the word disclosed? Will be undisclosed location of Goodwill. A blacklisted location. Yeah. And I'm like, cool. Uh, it was like six, seven dollars, right? Even with shipping and handling, like nothing. It costs nothing. I'm like, shit. It gets here, right? And I'm like, this box seems odd. And I open it up, and it was. It was Shay Imazumi Unfailing Kindness musical DVD set or musical CD. Well, that they fucking sent me. <laughs> you motherfuckers. And you know what? Is it a Christian one, by chance? Let me see here on the back. It changed for the better, the more the merrier, unfairing kindness, lonely, round and round, adversity, another day. That's, so, yeah, it sounds very Christian. It sounds very, yeah. See, that sounds to me like God sent you a message. No, man, they, they did me dirty. <laughs> they did me. And you know, I wasn't even mad. I was like, touche. <laughs> So uh, <laughs> the moral of the story is make sure to, do, to get a play from a reputable pervert uh, site. <laughs> and not from Goodwill. Not from goddamn Goodwill. Eh? Because they promoted the the DVD. It doesn't make any sense to me. How do you promote th- that you're selling that? I ordered that, and you didn't send me that. You assholes. Now, did you buy it through Amazon or Goodwills? Uh, through Amazon's uh, within Goodwill. With, or no, through Goodwill within Amazon. Then you should be able to... Now nah, they beat me. What <laughs> beat you? I'm a, I conceded at that point. It's $6. They win. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I was like... I wasn't even mad when I opened it because I knew, like, oh, damn, they got me. Because <laughs> it, it reminds me of a story I heard a long time ago of this these people that were back in the day when you had to get your pornography from magazines. Uh, they would have little like uh, uh, little uh, mailers that you you wrote you you sent a check in, you wrote your name, number, your address, and all that, and you would order pornography videos through the internet, or not the internet, but through mail service. Right. And uh, there was a story that this guy was offering them. He he put out the advertisement that he was selling DVDs or or VHSs at the time, and uh, they would uh they would he you know they would send him the money. And the check and the, the their uh, uh, shipping information, and he would send them movies. But what he he would not send them movies. He would send them a full refunded check, saying uh, from and the company would be like under bestiality, pornography dot com or something. So then they so that they would never cash the check. <laughs> so he he legally sent them their money back, right? But he kept their money. 
Jimmy knows he's not gonna go cash that check. Exactly. They know damn well I'm not gonna go, go back for Girls Next Door season two. <laughs> it ain't worth that. <laughs> I ordered Girls Next Door season two. Damn it. They sent me a Christian album. They sent me some random chick, who I'm sure is a lovely person, but I'll be damned if I have to listen to her music. Anyway, the more you learn. <laughs> I'll buy it from you later. It's fine. <laughs> so now, <clears throat> I, know, I know somebody that probably wants that. It's like, you can have it. <laughs> the hell am I going to do with it? <laughs> Send it for me. It's not going to change my life. <laughs> I will, uh, I'll die a pervert. <laughs> 99 years old, still chasing ass. <laughs> so, uh, last week I talked a little bit about Unfinished Business, the movie starring Vince Vaughn, and uh, I told you how weird it was that uh, the actor that played it in the movie, one of the uh, the three principal characters, I guess, the main cast, mm-hmm. uh, how he just suddenly died like uh, two days after I was started watching the movie again, and I, you know how crazy that was. I didn't, I didn't exactly explain it too well. Uh, the movie because I kind of just I tend to jump from point to point instead of sticking from to a straight line. If you ever if I ever made a rail system like for for trains, she would be horrendous. <laughs> just stop, start, in a turn, circle, back up. I'm like what the fuck is going on with this train system? <laughs> Change different scales back and forth between sizes of rail. Fucking switch from trains to to uh, Ubers and. <laughs> So anyway, so I went back and I watched the movie last night and I took copious notes, basically from the beginning of the movie to the very end of the movie, in order. So I will explain the entire movie to the best of my ability uh, so that you have at least a cohesive uh, story. So let's begin. So uh, the main characters are Vince Vaughn, of course. One of the main characters are... uh, Fuck, here we go. I didn't write down their names at all. (laughs) Let me go to Google. By the way... uh, it's Google. It's not fucking uh, Bing. It's not uh, Yahoo. It's Google. Everyone's trying to say, like, I'm going to check that search engine. What, Google? That's all you're going to. Don't you lie to me. <laughs> all right, so the main characters are uh, Daniel Dan Trunkman, uh, Timothy McWinters, and Mike Pancake. So we, we start with uh, Dan and his boss Chuck are arguing because they're planning on cutting Dan's salary by 5% next year. And he's, he can't have that because uh, he's got a wife. He's got kids. Like, that's 5% is a massive uh, deduction in income. When Especially if, like, you, you have a, a set budget with what you're making. So he decides to leave and start his own business. And uh, before he leaves, he uh, before he leaves, he gets in front of the, everybody in the fucking uh, the, the office. And he's like, uh, he asks if anyone wants to come with him to start a brand new business. You, you can start on the cutting, the cutting room floor. Of a new venture, and uh, of course, and then he he's uh, outside in his, uh, the parking lot, walking like a defeated man, because no one came out with him, <laughs> and so he's putting his, his stuff in his truck, and he notices them. Uh, uh, Timothy, Tim, and uh, Mike are following behind him, and he gets all excited, thinking that they came with him after what he said, but uh, they didn't. Well, uh, Tim didn't. He just got fired. He got fired because there's a mandatory age limit at his company. And uh, they, he's 67, so they they just dumped him, which I think is like discrimination. Yeah, you could, you wouldn't want to do that. <clears throat> so Mike's or so Dan's like, uh, so you still want to work? And he's like, yeah, I'm only 67. So he hires Tim on the spot, and then he he looks over to Mike and uh, he asks Mike, uh, do you want to work for me? He's like, Mike's like, yeah. It's like, so uh, what did you do at a uh, uh, dynamic? I think that's what it's called, the company. 
and uh, he's like, I didn't work there. I was just having an interview, but he had brought his office belongings to show confidence. So he, he has a, he, Dan has an uh, impromptu interview with him right then and there. He's like, so uh, w what do you do? Like, I used to work at Foot Locker. It's like, reasons for quitting? I don't like feet. And so he's like, uh, all right, do, do you work hard? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, how hard? He's like, the, the, the hardest. So he's just random. He's just whatever random shit he can say. But uh, I guess Dan wins him over. So he hires him on the spot. <clears throat> and then it jumps uh, two years later. No, one year later. And uh, Dan's outside of Dunkin' Donuts uh, having a conversation on the phone, and Tim and uh, Mike are watching him through the window. He comes back in and he tells him that uh, the deal that they've been working on for the last year has finally uh, been set. It's, it's going through. They just got to go to Portland, Maine, and uh, have, the inter have the handshake, the time-honored handshake. Because in this business, because they're, like, they're like mineral deposits or mineral uh, sales business, mm -hmm. They decide that's the business. The, the handshake's like a time-honored within their business. It's not written on paper, so I don't believe a handshake for nothing. But in in their world, the handshake is the, the most important uh, end game to the uh, deal being done. You get the handshake, deal's done. So getting the handshake in this movie is like the uh, the the MacGuffin, like the, the thing that they're trying to get they cannot seem to get. And so. Uh, they're going to go to Portland, Maine, which, like, when they said Portland to me, I just assumed Oregon. Anyone that hears Portland. Assume, you automatically assume yeah. Oregon, yeah. But it's like, oh, yeah, there's another Portland, Maine. <laughs> go figure. And uh, Mike's kind of excited. Or, uh, yeah, Mike's excited. He's like, are we going to have, like, explorers? And on this business trip, and he's like, explorers? Like, could you use that in a sentence? Like, yeah, uh, Mike, Dan, and Tim are going to go to Portland and have some explorers. Great, great way <laughs> And then it realized, Dan realizes that he's saying exploits. And he's like, no, I'm not going to have any exploits. I'm just going to go in, get the handshake, and leave. But if you can have as many exploits as you want. And then Tim asks him, so is this, are, are we, is there going to be a fluffer on this deal? And Dan's like, no. And uh, Mike's like, what the, Mike's basically like our surrogate for this moment. Like, because we don't know what a fluffer is. I mean, I know what a fluffer is because I'm a pervert. <laughs> but in the context of the their world, I don't know what a fluffer is. Right. And it turns out a fluffer for them is when a company wants to make a sweetheart deal with a friend, uh, they and to make it look legitimate, they would have another team or another company that they would pretend to do business with up until the very end of the deal, but then but just string them along the entire time. And Dan's like, no, nope, no fluffer. It's just us. We get the handshake. We're done. So there's no fluffer on this deal, allegedly. So... Um, Let's see where we go. So Dan gets home, and he walks in like he's gonna go tell his family that he's leaving for the for a couple days to do the deal. He knocks on his son's door, but then he goes right in without like stopping anything. Right? His son freaks out. He turns his computer monitor off, <clears throat> and Dan's like, "Oh, oh, don't worry." He basically gives him a whole masturbation uh, uh, talk. He's like, "Everything it's perfectly normal. These these are the things you do, and there's no crime here. No one's being put on trial." Like, you know, as a gentleman, you do your business and then you, you know, you put it, put it away and you get back to business. And he's like, you know, I used to do stuff all the time, like three or four times, but now I'm too tired from doing other stuff. So I can't do the stuff that I used to do like I used to do. <laughs> and uh, it's a very sweet, like uh, trying to be like, not feel, making some feel embarrassed. Right. <clears throat> and try to like, like an actual, like a, a, a decent, like, or not decent, how do I put it? Like. Like, I bet you, like, if my parents are, you know what I mean? Like, like what the fuck? You know what I mean? Like, any, right? Like, he's, like, a very mature father. Right. Kind of like uh, the dad in American Pie. 
when he caught his son fucking an apple pie. And he just, he's just like, well, just, I mean, we'll just tell your mom we ate it all. That was the most underst- understanding. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. He was a very understanding father. He's like, you know, when I was, like, Dan's like, you know, when I was a kid, Paul, uh, my sister used to have these lingerie magazines that I would, like, you know, sneak away to use. Like, now, nowadays, you kids can just, you know, go online and watch a clown fucking alpaca. And I'm like, that's a weird, that was a weird choice <laughs> for you to tell us. And he's like, don't worry, Paul, it's no big deal. It's none of it's a big deal. You know, you just do your business, you know, but you got to do it in the bathroom because your door doesn't have a lock. And if your sister walks in on you, that's no good. So, you know, they, they hug it out. It's like, give me a hug, son. But, you know, I know, I know what the, those hands have been doing. He leaves. Paul, Paul goes back to his, his computer and turns it on. And you realize he's not watching porn. He's watching his, like, Facebook page that people have just posted, like, the meanest shit. They're, like, they just made him look like an elephant. Like, a, like they made him look like the kid from uh, Willy Wonka that, that blew up into a balloon, <laughs> turned blue. Or, like, having them, like, his face uh, positioned over uh, the body of a sumo wrestler. And then had, like, don't eat me, Paul, on the bottom. I'm like, God dang. <clears throat> so he moved. So after that, Mike goes into the, or Dan goes into the kitchen. And him and his wife have the discussion of private school uh, for Paul because he's high, very isolated in his school that he is right now. And he's getting picked on and he, he can't, like, come out of his shell. So they're like, we need to talk about uh, getting him into a new private school for next year. <clears throat> and Dan's like, all right, we'll talk about it on, the, on uh, FaceTime it later today because he's got to catch his flight. So, and then she says, like, uh, he's about to leave without eating. And she said, you have to eat because men over 40 <clears throat> can have fainting spells if they don't eat properly. And they'll have, they'll lose muscle mass and all this <laughs> other stuff. And he's just like, I got to go. <laughs> so then he talks to his daughter. And uh, she asks him what he's taking to the fl- to, on the trip. And all he does is take a book and, and some shoes. So all he does is read and run. Which is funny because all I do is read and write. <laughs> go figure. And so... Um, uh, she asked him to do his homework or her homework for him. It's like a, uh, it's called "Who's Your Daddy." It's basically just uh, the homework of what his father, what her father does for a living, or what he's like, or all that, right? And it 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 causes a great way to add uh, over a voiceover that feels natural in the movie, which is like a, if I ever remember this little gimmick, I'm gonna keep it. <clears throat> so he starts talking in a voiceover about uh, so who's your daddy, and he he explains that he's he works as a, a swarf uh, salesman. That sells um, metal residue after construction of massive objects like the Golden Gate Bridge. He so he starts saying this and he's like, "Oh, forget it. It's it's fucking boring." And then he just like you know he uh, cuts it down. <clears throat> and he says that he's worried that uh, because uh, Swarf's uh, kind of on a downgrade this year, so he's probably this real this deal is really important or his business is going under, which uh, COVID sure took care of a lot of businesses. Yeah, I mean, man, I I think it was something like. Uh... 60% of all restaurants in uh, New York City. Fuck. Like, it was a lot. And the same thing goes for California. It was tough. Uh, I'm glad I wasn't in either one of those states at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this is 2015. No COVID in sight, but uh, it's just, you know, companies go under and it sucks. Yeah. Uh, so he, the, the, uh, him, so the, I'm going to call it the team from now on. If I have ever said a team, it's, it's Dan, Tim, and uh, Mike. So the team gets to the airport. They go up to the, um, I've never been in an airport, so they go to the place where they give the tickets to the people, <laughs> the, the boarding uh, section, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tim's, or Dan's excited because his name is next on the upgrade list, and he's never been upgraded. And 31 flights he had that year, last year making the deal, not once was he upgraded. 
So he gets upgraded, and he's all happy as hell. He like, you guys go go up the plane. Like he tells them, he tells them like peasants, like uh, make sure to go uh, into the plane from the back. And we don't want we don't want to see you walking past the front of the first class. <laughs> and so he's Dan's sitting uh, in first class, just happy as hell. And uh, you have all these military veterans go by. And a lot of people are, are giving up their first-class seats for the military guys and going into a coach or a business class, I guess. And uh, Dan's like, uh, and like the, the, the line is stopped. So there's a, a soldier looking right, dead at him, right? He's like trying to s- sip his orange juice. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, I would give you my seat any other time, but I've never in my life been upgraded to first class. 12 years, like he's been working 12 years in this business, not once. Has he ever been upgraded to his first class? Uh, the soldier's like, it's okay, no problem. I mean, and then, then Dan's like, oh, thank you for your service. So he goes to shake his hand. The guy pulls his hand out, and it's just a claw, like a metal. Oh. And Dan's like, oh. Uh, Dan's like, ah. Uh, and he, like, he just puts his first three fingers on the tip of the claw, right, and shakes it. He looks, he turns back, but then he, like, he realizes how uh, terrible that is. He goes back, and he gives him a full handshake, grabs the whole claw, shakes it, like, I want you to have my seat. And he leaves to the back. Dan leaves to go to the back. <laughs> Which at that point, I mean, you had to anyway. Yeah. So he get like he uh, he's in the back with Mike and uh, with the team, Mike and Tim, and he tells Tim or he tells Mike not to say his name, his full name, because he's afraid that if Mike says his full name on the uh, uh, during the meeting, that uh, you son of a bitch. During the, the no one ever texts me. I mean, anyone anytime else, but the do if whenever I'm driving or doing a podcast. Here comes the fucking uh, floodgates. <laughs> uh, he tells Mike not to kill. He's afraid if Mike uses his full name, uh, it distracts people from pertinent business stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what's wrong with my name? So he tells him to say his name. He's like, Mike, he's like, uh, Mike Pancake. And then Tim just bursts out fucking laughing. He's like, oh, I just forget that his name is Mike Pancake. Uh, so uh, on the shuttle bus from the the plane to their, I guess, hotel or whatever, uh, it's FaceTime. So fa- FaceTime. Dan, Dan has to FaceTime his wife to talk about the the private school, and when he starts FaceTiming, and his his son Paul picks up, and uh, his wife just runs in and says like, uh, Paul just got arrested for shoplifting. And he's like, oh shit. So uh, he finds out that his son was arrested because he was trying to steal. Uh, let's see what he's trying to steal: a uh, five shade palette of show stopping eyeshadows. <laughs> yeah, he, he was trying to put this eyeshadow on his eyes to go talk to the goth kids and try to uh, connect. So that way he could get a uh, click. Basically. Yeah, but he ended up putting teal on his eyes instead of dark colors. So now he and he says that not only can he not fit in with anybody, he can't even fit in with the kids that can't fit in. So now Paul's like, well, damn. <laughs> so his wife's like, uh, like, uh, he's like, he's like, oh, crap. We got to talk about this private school. And she's like, it's going to be $19,000 for this private school. And uh, dad says 19. And he like shuts his mouth or like he keeps his mouth open and pretends he's fr- uh, the camera froze. Right. Or the FaceTime froze. And like, bear in mind, as you're watching the movie, you can clearly see him move bobbing back and forth with the, with the you know, with the, the motion of the car. <laughs> I don't know why she didn't notice that. <laughs> I would have noticed. It's like, why are you still moving? You didn't freeze it off. And uh, he uh, he has another, he has a second. Uh, voiceover where he's talking about he's worried about his son because like he has you know at his age you know he's he, he sticks out physically mm-hmm. from the other kids and they're picking on him and he wants to help him you know get through it but he has to also worry about this deal because he really really needs this deal 
So he decides, like, with, with the with the private school and the deal, he's like, his mind is really cluttered. So he's gonna go on, go uh, gonna go on a run. Unfortunately, his daughter packed his mom's or her mom's running gear, not his. Oh. So it's like a top, a tight, tight, let just tight. <laughs> fucking sh- uh, like uh like what are they like? Sh- uh, what are they leggings or yeah. what are they called? Uh, tights. Not, not they look like that like brand now. Oh, uh, like the Lululemon? Like yoga, yeah, like the yoga stuff and whatnot? Yeah. And he's like, well, dang. So I can't run, so let me just get a, a, a junior wine from the junior mini bar, go to the balcony, and just have a moment, just a Dan moment, just one Dan moment. And he, he, he breaks open the, by the way, like, I want to stand out on a balcony and overlooking the ocean and just drink some wine. And he's about to take the drink, the, the, uh, the, the sip of wine, and he looks over. And of all the people in the next balcony over, it had to be his ex-boss, Chuck. Chuck Portnoy. She's there, and she's like, hey, Dad. And Chuck, and Dad like, hey, Chuck, what are you doing here? It's like, oh, you know me? She's about to go meet with the uh, Benjamisons, and the Benjamisons is the company that Dan is there to see. So he's like, no. And so um, and then it comes to a weird scene of Mike stealing stuff from the uh, the, the hotel room. Like, he steals all the little, like, uh, soaps and uh, shampoos. He steals a bathrobe. He steals a whole freaking air dr- a hair dryer. Like, you know, like a, a full hair dryer. He just, yeah. puts it in his, he just puts it in his luggage. Like, that's weird. Uh, so then uh, Mike is uh, uh, getting his presentation ready. And uh, the maid comes in. And she starts cleaning. And she says, like, uh, um, just watch me clean and touch yourself. While I clean, he's like, huh? Like, Dan freaks out, like, what? And then it cuts to Tim talking to a man, and he's like, um, I've never done this before. Um, like, from, and then while you're cleaning, could you could you talk to me? And maybe maybe show me some titty? I, I like to see some titty. I'm not seeing enough titty from you. And uh, you realize that he hired the sex mate for himself, but it ended up in, in Dan's room and not his. Right. And uh, T- Timothy's like, <laughs> Tim is like, I wanna, I wanna pretend to be someone else for a little bit. So could you call me Tony Stark and, and talk about my iron cock? <laughs> I'm like, God dang, Tim! <laughs> like he wanted that business. <laughs> and uh, so uh, uh, Dan comes in. He's like, uh, the the sex maid that you hired, uh, she's in my room. This is the actual maid. So so Timothy's just like, you're doing a great job. <laughs> Good job with the clean. <laughs> it's so funny, funny, awkward to me, because <laughs> because uh, he's also like she's like I don't think she spoke English, so she's like okay, and he's like okay, she's like okay, and he's like okay. They said okay back and forth like five times. It's like okay. <laughs> so then Dan gets mad, and he starts yelling at both of them. It's like let's stop, let's stop drinking champagne, because because Mike was just downing a whole bottle, a full bottle of champagne in his room. Uh, and let's not let's stop buying women. We gotta deal with this uh, situation. And it, <laughs> like uh, it is imperative that we uh, we we close this deal. And then Mike's like, uh, "What what is what, what's that uh, e word?" And he's like, and like he Dan's like, "I didn't say an e word." And then I look back, I, I, I rewound the uh, the scene back, and I'm like, and, and his whole little like uh, monologue there, his whole little tirade. He not one of his words started with an uh, an e. It's uh, imperative. It was like imperative. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like imperative. 
So then Dan goes on a he goes on a run to clear his head, and like Tim's like uh, we we the, the meeting's in an hour. He's like I have to go, I have to clear my mind. So he wears his wife's clothes and he <laughs> runs outside. And there's a weird thing that I cannot get over because I wish there was commentary on this movie, but there's not. There's there's hardly any special features or bonus. I'm like man, that sucks. Uh, there's this moment where he's running in Portland, Maine, and it's cold as fuck. But he's like you know he's he's like. Um, just heated by the the running, I guess. Right. And he gets to a crosswalk where you gotta press the button mm-hmm. for like the the walking. And this little uh he's he stands up against the 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 uh the the pole and this little Asian woman comes in and just fucking boom hits that shit hard as fuck. But the button, he's like, Oh fuck <laughs> scared the shit out of him, right? And so he goes back to watch to uh uh by the way, from what I hear, I don't know if this is true or not, but apparently real runners when they stop at like a crosswalk and stuff, they kind of like bend down and like put their hands on their like uh, knees to ca- to catch their breath, and like fake runners do like, do, like do the stop uh, jogging motion. I don't know if that's true or not. I heard that somewhere. Like you know, like when when runners like they'll, they'll, they'll jog in place while they're waiting for the, the light to turn. Apparently, the real joggers they they stop completely and like you know to catch their breath. I don't know. I, I, it's funny. That's something I, I learned, and I, I saw Dan do the real one, and the 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 other chick do like the fake jogger. Yeah, I think it's more of like if you're anxious or not, though. But I know that there's people that do run where it's like they just like, they have so much fucking energy. <laughs> so anyway, he's doing the like, like he's in the the exhausted like uh, resting uh, pose, and this guy comes in. He's about to press the button again, and Dan smacks the shit out of his hand. He's like, ah, ah, ah. he said, "No, don't don't press the button. It's already done." And I, I never understood what the fuck that was for, that little scene. It was so weird to me. It's still weird to me to this day. We saw that movie like nine, six, or like nine, eight years ago. Yeah. And I keep seeing it. I'm like, why does he why does he stop the guy from pressing the button? I don't understand. It's like it's already been pressed. I guess so, but like there was no reason. It was weird to me. So Dan ends up going to the meeting place, still wearing his his, his fucking wife's clothes. Uh, he meets his contact for the meeting, like guy that he's been building the meeting, the the deal with all this year. Uh, Bill Williamson, and he meets uh, Chuck there as well, who's talking to Bill, and he meets Bill's boss, Jim. Uh, if you need to know what he looks like, Jim is basically uh, ex, uh, Cyclops from X-Men. It's the actor. And Bill, Bill is uh, freaking uh, not the, the, the he's the big, the heavyset one from uh, Shaun of the Dead. <clears throat> if you didn't know what they look like. Yeah. And so, uh, Chuck goes. Chuck goes into this weird thing where she keeps looking at uh, at uh, Dan's like crotch, cause like as tight as the, the as tight as those fucking shorts are, right? Those pants. <laughs> she cannot see his dick or balls, and it is uh, it's like highly alarming to her. It's like you think I can see your dick or balls, but I can't. It's weird. It's like don't be staring at my dick. <laughs> so they go up, and uh, it, at this point, you clearly realize that Jim, Bill's boss, and Chuck. Dan's ex-boss are really good friends. Like, like they probably fucked is what it looks like. That's what they're, they're trying to imply here. I wish right. there was commentary so I could be sure. But uh, so Dan's kind of freaked out now because now Jim has reopened the deal back up to first term rates. So they got to they gotta do their entire presentation over again that they've been working on for the last year and re- restart the entire uh, deal process now that Chuck's their new competitor. And then, like Dan's like, this is weird. Uh, so they uh, they're up in the office uh, uh, with uh, the Ben Jamison team. You got Jim and Jim and uh, Bill and, and another guy, 
and you got the team and Dan's like going through his presentation with like the on the on the TV he's like using like the PowerPoint files and whatnot and then like uh now if you look closely and boom he fucking passes out <laughs> he just fucking he faints the fainting spell that his wife from earlier yeah he just he just, he just, he just eats he just drops it and then like uh, Tim and Mike come and help him up right and like uh, Mike, Dan's like, well, what was the last thing I said? And Mike's like, fuck. Because <laughs> he's like, when he hit the he's like, fuck. <laughs> Which is, it literally wasn't the last thing. <laughs> like, that's all we wanted him to say. Like, he wanted, like, on the presentation, when he, when he you know, Mike's being literal. So like, you said fuck right before you hit the fucking floor. <laughs> so he has Mike take over the uh, the presentation process, the uh, event or whatever. What's it called? The presentation? Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, I am Mike Pan- Pancakes. And uh, did fucking ruined the, the meeting. He's like, what's your last name? The Pancake? I'm like, yeah, it's Greek. <laughs> like the breakfast? <laughs> so he completely ruined the meeting. Which is funny because he said that uh, his name is Greek, right? And when Jim and Dan are talking later after the meeting, uh, Dan or Jim tells him they had to reopen the the uh, the deal process over again with another another uh, company. Because the Swarf business had bottomed out in Greece. So that's kind of weird that they use Greece, and, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I guess the writer was just, <laughs> he had Greek on his mind when he wrote both scenes. So um, the, uh, now they have to go to, uh, basically now, what happened here? Let me, let me reor- reorganize myself. So now the team has to go to Berlin mm-hmm. and present to the group called Gelger, which is the parent company of Ben, J- ben Jameson. Uh, yeah, it's Ben Jamison's parent company. Like, you know, like, like, uh... Oh, Johnson & Johnson owns a whole bunch of companies. Right, and yeah. Gelger owns Benjamin, uh, Ben Jamison. So if they can get good with Gelger, Ben Jamison got no choice. And he can, he, and he can, uh, he can beat Chuck in the deal. So they go, so they get to Berlin, and, uh, no, they don't get to Berlin. They go to this pier in Portland, which, I don't know if it's a restaurant. Like, they're just sitting out there. On this pier, like there's boats everywhere, and they're on a table. There's a little one of those little red candles in the center of the the table, which is like the the the, the universal sign of a of a restaurant, a diner or yeah. dinner or restaurant, right? And I'm thinking like there's nobody out there. It's one table on one pier. There's a freaking Pepsi machine in the corner, like on the edge of the like back on like the mainland. And like I'm not, I don't understand the scene. I like it. Like I really love the scene. Cause I love unique little places that are like out of the ordinary. Yeah. But I'm like, why are they sitting out on the pier on a table? There's no food on their table. Right. It's cold as fuck. Cause you can see their breath. <laughs> so I'm like, are they eating dinner out here? Maybe it's one of those restaurants that, are like, in the summer, it's really popular. Right. But because it's fucking balls cold, no one's gonna get out. But they're like, and but maybe the food's like cheaper. But there was no food there, so I, I don't understand the scene. They're just sitting there. Tim's talking about like he he really wants this deal to go through because he wants to divorce his wife, who's excessively cruel, has been the only woman he's ever slept with, and he just wants to get some fucking on. Is basically what he's saying. Like he says it a lot sweeter than that, <laughs> but he just wants to get his fuck on. Right. He wants to fuck somebody wheelbarrow position, but he can't do it with his wife because his wife the size his wife's the size of a vending machine. <laughs> it would break his back to hold both her legs up. Is what he is what I interpreted. He was saying. Like she looks like that, the Pepsi machine over there. <laughs> like that one, one that uh, that person that's on uh, all these shows now, uh, where they call it Gorlock. Oh, that one woman. Yeah. yeah, that's not her actual name, is it? Or is that a mean? 
We went with a copper. Well, that's, not, that's not very nice. <laughs> Gorlock the Destroyer. So, uh, so yeah, Tim needs this deal to go through. And, uh, the, you know, Mike and Dan have a weird exchange about, like, uh, your wife's square? Because he asked, he has, Mike asked Tim if his wife's square. And Mike's like, a rectangular, yes. And he's like, uh, uh, but, but the Pepsi machine's square. And then Dan's like, that, that, that symbol right here, like, he does the whole, he does the, like, you can tell he's doing a rectangle. <laughs> yeah, that's square. And Mike's like, by the way, the actor that plays Mike, uh, Dave Franco, if you like, there's like there's like a five minutes uh, like uh, interview thing on the bonus features. Well, there's that, and like you know those stock images of office people like just standing looking happy. Yeah, they 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 have that on the DVD as well, but it's just Mike and Dan <laughs> superimposed onto a bunch of fucking stills of business people, like Dan going like this at a presentation, Mike smiling too with his group of people in the office, weird as fuck. But there's like a five minute like little like behind the scenes of like making the movie, and uh, th- like you can tell it's two different people. The actor's a different person than the character he played, Mike, which is like the pretty much the the essence of acting. Right. Like where you can you can when you can see the person as one way, and they can and then when you see him in a different way, it's he's it's him acting, because like um, Mike had this goofy thing where like he tends to blink when he's nervous with just one eye. Instead of both, you know, he just blinks with his left eye. And I noticed that because I've watched the movie like 10 times now. Yeah. And I'm like, that's like an actor choice right there. I'm like, that's fucking good. Like his whole speech pattern is different than Dave's is when he's doing the interview. It's it's amazing. But like, you know, there's little little idiosyncrasies you notice when you watch a movie 107 times. (laughs) Start when noticing every little thing. Basically, yeah. So, um... So they decide to go to uh, Berlin to um, uh, present to Ben Jamison's parent company. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I even wrote Pier Restaurant in my notes. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know what the fuck kind of restaurant it was, but we got to go there one day. And uh, so Dan does his third voiceover because he really, like, on the plane, he does his third voiceover. And he says, like, uh, now I know why my uh, Paul didn't want me to come in his room on his computer, it wasn't because of he was, uh, you know, doing stuff. It was because he was going through his Facebook and seeing all the mean comments. And, like, Dan's going through his son's Facebook and all the mean stuff people put on there. And uh, so now he's really worried about his son. <clears throat> and Mike meets a woman on the plane. And she's telling him, like, uh, uh, by the way, uh, the same thing about uh, now that I'm noticing, like, the acting uh, from the movie, uh, she almost comes off as condescending. Cause she says like he says like so donkey means thank you and she's like like but she's not it's not meant to be condescending because she likes him right yeah but if you see the scene it, at first though she's being real like when she does like the, almost does like she does an eye roll without rolling her eyes right like I, you'd have to see it but I'm like she looks like she's being an asshole to him. it's like that's right thank donkey means thank you like that's that's the way I interpret it when she tilts her head up and comes back down it looks like she's being condescending. They probably should have talked to her about that in the scene, because that looks, to me, if I was a director, that was condescending as fuck, the way you did that. I'm going to need you to change that uh, uh, head motion. Like, it was just like... like oh, huh. Exactly, exactly, that's exactly what she did. I'm like, that was not what she meant to do for the character in the scene. Right. Uh, so the team gets to Berlin. Where am I? I fucking lost my place. Oh, yeah, so the team gets there. They rent a car. And uh, for whatever reason, they made the. the by the way, uh, Mike's character is autistic in this movie, is what I'm guessing. So he's not like, like he's really good with numbers and people, 
but he also has like these deficiencies, like social deficiencies and right. like stuff like that. So I don't know why they let Mike uh, order the GPS in this computer in this uh, in this car because he decided to order it in German. And like he's and you know his rationale was like, well, because we're in Germany and we need to have the German so that it would know all the German streets and German names. And then Dad's like, if it was in English, it would still have the streets and names, but they'd still be in English. Mike, what the? F-? <laughs> he was like, he lost. Like I don't know, like cause the computer kept saying "Fugerschlagen." Uh, like what the fuck does that even mean, Mike? Fugerschlagen. He's Dan was losing his fucking shit. <laughs> like, see, pancake. What the fuck does that even mean? <laughs> I love their like you can tell when people are close, especially like like people that aren't family, right? Right. Like when they then they can argue with each other and they go back to being normal. That's like true like uh level of like closeness. Mm-hmm. Like you could like you you couldn't be that with like a, a re- regular coworker, right? No. But then Mike so Dan just cussing Mike out and then like sorry, but it's like sorry, Dan. <laughs> so they get on the Autobahn and they get on the wrong side. Like you, not only on the wrong side, but they go up a ramp, and they, uh, the ramp's oncoming traffic. So uh, everyone's going by, and they're cussing them out. And Dan's like, "Thank you. I don't know what you said, but I'm sure it wasn't helpful." Like, "Thank you. I'm a guest in your land, but thank you." There, and the little kid flips him off. It was a funny little bit. Uh, so they need to go to, the, so they need to go to Hamburg in two hours and back. Uh, Tim's like, "Why?" And Dan's like, "Because he needs to. He needs to meet this woman named Helen Hartman." Who, uh, if she can drop her something, uh, this is where I don't know anything about this this business. If she drops something in the uh, in her like deal with him, he can uh, change his uh, his deal to be able to beat Chuck. Like he can t- take his percentage down to seventeen percent. If she like drops her like his her fees on like her upfront fees, and then she'll pay him back on the on the backside like double her like uh, processing fees or something. Mm-hmm. Like it sounds like like if you were like in the business, you probably get a hard on. But I was like, I don't know what the fuck she's talking about, but I'm still enjoying the whole situation. Because, like, it's legit. Like, it feels legitimate. Uh, so they, they, they call up the, the offices of Helen, and they found out that she's taking a, a personal day. And uh, Dan's like, could you, by any chance, tell me where she is? Like, you know, I, I don't know why. No one, would, no one ever would ever tell you. Or I guess they would be, if, depending on who you are. Right. But uh, she tells them that she's uh, she went to uh, It's called a spritz, right? But it's fucking spelled uh, S H V I T Z in the uh, the um, uh, con- not the commentary the uh, what's the words at the bottom I forgot what to call the words caption the caption right it's spelled C H V I T C but it's they they say spritz that's how they say spritz in Germany I guess hmm. it's like a, it's like a spa place yeah and so uh, the dad wants the lady to go in there and bring bring Helen out, but she's like, "Don't worry, it's a unisex spritz. Go on right on in." <laughs> so in they go, and uh, freaking Mike, being like new to like he's never been out of town, he's never been, uh, he's never he's he's still a virgin, he's never like had any exploits like he wants to have. He's excited, and this woman walks out. She's coming out of the 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 spa as they're coming in, and Mike's like, oh, "Boobies, big boobies! Here they come! They're right there!" Look at the boobies! Like he almost fucking grabs them, by the way. He like, and then he like stops himself, like big boobies. And so, uh, Dan's like, "All right, you guys wait here. Let me go meet with Helen. Let me go find her." And of course, Mike and Tim want to come with him. Like Tim's fucking starving for sex, but Mike also. They're both. They need to get laid apparently. Uh, and they want to go because there's naked women everywhere. And uh, uh, the dad's like, no, she's gonna be freaked out if two, three men, grown men in f- full uh, suits, 
you know, just uh, gang up on her in one, like, a, a, a spa area. So he's like, I'll go by myself. I'll talk to her. I'll be right back. And then Tim's like, uh, we understand. And then they leave. And I don't know if this was a, a, a improv moment from uh, the actor, Dave, or if it was part of the movie. But he, he looks over. He's like, butt cracks, two butt cracks. Like, he, he drags Mike over, or Tim over to, to see these two women behind his glass. And they're like, asses are pressed up against the glass. And he's all excited. <laughs> Every time I see that scene, I can't. He's like, two butt cracks. I wish I was my t my uh, my ringtone. Two butt cracks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so he gets there. He talks to Helen. Uh, he t he tells her he tells her all the spiel that he's talking about, and she she's like uh, she agrees to her his new terms, but she she calls him a liar, and and he's like what? No, she doesn't agree at first. She she calls him a liar when he he propositions this new deal, and he's like what? My numbers are solid, and she's not worried about the numbers. She calls him a liar because like what kind of a prudish American comes into a, a an open uh, spa in full fucking uniform, right? And he's like, uh, "What? I love Europe." And he, he so Dan gets butt ass naked <laughs> in the, in the to to prove to her that he's not some uh, prudish American. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then they, they so the deal is uh, settled. But then Tim and Mike come in to check on him. Like, we just came in to check on you, make sure you're okay. And of course, Dan's butt ass naked, and Mike's like, "I see you, boss." <laughs> and for whatever reason, uh, Mike gets a boner. And Helen's like, uh, huh, looks like we got ourselves a, an excited pilgrim. And Mike's like, oh, I'm sorry. And he puts his tie over his boner. Like, I, are, are boners not allowed? <laughs> Such a weird scene. Uh, so th that deal is set. Boom. They're in the car going back to Berlin. They, they, got, they had two hours to get to Hamburg. They got to come back. And uh, Mike's uh, wife calls him, and she starts having sex talk with him. And, but it's over the speakerphone. So Dan's like, you need to stop. Tim and Mike are here. Cause she was saying like she like you know she she's like she's got her hand her phone in her left hand she's got her right hand going down her belly doing little circles on her you know and he's like you're on speakerphone you're on speakerphone and uh, you know they hate she says hello to Tim and Mike they hang up and then Mike's like I like to make circles too on my bike and then just that's it <laughs> then for whatever reason there's a reindeer in the middle of the road and they end up. Uh, Dan's going 100 miles an hour. He can't stop. The deer's like right there, so he swerves. Cause Mike says like, uh, just go right at it. It'll it'll dart. The deer, the ranger does not give a fuck. He stands dead on in front of that car. So Dan swerves. He hits like the uh, the the little metal like partition that separates like the road from like the the uh, outside uh, ground and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And you know, tips his car over. They come. They flip over backwards and they end up in the in the cornfield. So they totaled their fucking uh, rental car. And they got to walk back to Berlin. It was a random scene. It didn't really do much for the save at all. Yeah. Other than have Dan, um, have Dan yell at Mike again. Like, Dan, have you seen a lot of reindeer in St. Louis running to and fro? Mike, and Mike's like, no. I just imagine what I would do if I was a reindeer man. And when... <laughs> So uh, they get up to the, uh, the, the Gelger's office to do the meeting. And uh, Mike asks uh, Tim again, why is it called a wheelbarrow? It's like, could you hold the legs up uh, like a wheelbarrow? Like, you know, the handles of a wheelbarrow. Like, he, he asks about the wheelbarrow a lot. Uh, right before the meeting, his wife, uh, Dan, Dan's wife calls and says, uh, you, uh, can you talk to your daughter? There was a bullying incident in school. Uh, he, Dan, uh, Dan talks to his daughter says, like, uh, no one likes a bully. Uh, their, their, their parents are probably assholes. This and that, and you know, you'll be a good kid, all this and that. 
and uh, they hang up. And as they're waiting for the meeting to start, uh, he checks because there's a video of the bullying incident. He looks on it, and it's not someone bullying his daughter. It's his daughter beating the shit out of some little Indian kid. Is what the video is what he said in the video. <laughs> so it turns out she was the bully. <laughs> so he's like, he so he, he's like, he looks at Tim like, we gotta get the fuck, we gotta get this fucking deal. We gotta get home. Like, we gotta get the fuck out of here. Like, his whole family life's falling apart. He's like, I gotta get home. So the, the the receptionist meets him at the uh, outside the offices and tells them that tells him that their meeting has been pushed to Friday at eleven thirty, which is like two days later or some shit. They're like what? So now their whole deal is ruined. So uh, then now they gotta stay in Berlin like another two days or some shit. Mm-hmm. And so Mike is looking for rooms for them. They're in the park, uh, just sitting and contemplating life, I guess. And Mike's looking for rooms, but the problem is Berlin is packed. Right, it's October. It is packed. Like they did a great job of making it like seem like like constant stuff happening to them. Because like the Oktoberfest stuff. Oktoberfest, the G eight, Folsom Europe, and the Berlin Marathon are happening that. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, like everything all at once. Folsom Europe by itself had twenty five thousand people come in out of town. By the way, they 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 showed some weird videos on that like behind the scenes stuff for Folsom Europe. Oof. Like a man wearing a dog mask over his face and having a chain and someone else carrying walking him around. Oh. I'm like, huh. It's a huge gay festival. I, I kind of put two and two together. As soon as you said the dog mask. <laughs> so Dan so uh Dan or Mike finds a room for Dan in his price range, mm-hmm. which is higher than there because he's the like the boss. And then he he finds a room for uh him and Mike or uh, yeah, Mike and Tim at a hostel. Like a hostel's like for teenagers or fucking <laughs> college kids. Yeah, Tim's like sixty-seven years old. Yeah, because the the lady tells him he's too old for a room, so he's like, "Where can I stay?" She can stay. She can sleep in the hallway. You can sleep in the stairway. You can sleep in the business center. He's like, "Business center it is." <laughs> and uh, on the on the on the uh, the the bus ride to because uh, there's a car's gone. On the bus ride to their like respective hotel rooms, uh, Mike asks again, "So how is it a re- real a uh, wheelbarrow?" And Dan's fucking pissed. Like, you just hold their fucking legs up like a wheelbarrow. Fuck, man. <laughs> Always like I don't know why. Like when he yells at Mike, <laughs> he loses his temper so quick. Because <laughs> it's kind of like a, like a third son at this point. Yeah. Like he's like, God damn it! Will you just stop being? <laughs> he, he will not get through us the kid. Right. Uh. So. Uh. Uh, they they're going to different hotels, so they 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 split ways down uh, down the street, and Mike leaves, and Tim's confronts Dan, and they're like, Dan, d- d- don't you see what's going on? We're the fluffer, like we, 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 you know what I mean? Like he pretty much lays it out that they're the fluffer because it just it seems like they're like and you can tell getting strung along, yeah, yeah, like they're getting strung along. Like they they were told to come to Portland, Oregon to. Uh, uh, do the handshake. They didn't get the handshake. They were told they didn't have to come to Berlin. Uh, Dan insisted on coming to Berlin and meeting Gelger. And when they tried to meet Gelger, they pushed the meeting uh, up like two days. Like, where the fluffer, Dan? And then, then he really lays it on him. He tells him like two companies that uh, that owed him money, both went bankrupt. Like, I guess Tim kind of does like the finances. The the two companies that owed him money went bankrupt, so they didn't have any any income June and July. Now we're in October. So that means they've been uh, coasting on money from, I guess, earlier earlier jobs and like whatever they can get August, September. So they are flat broke. And like if this deal does not get through, 
the company's gonna go under. Like Dan had no idea, like because he didn't. Uh, Tim didn't tell Dan. Right. I'm sorry, I, I should have told you, but I thought this deal would go through. Like he, would, Tim was counting on this deal 100. percent And uh, then he gets into like this little like uh, really like sad moment where he's like, uh, like Dan, I need this deal to go through because I just, I just want to have a little joy in in my life, you know. <laughs> like he's like he just wants that. Like he's like he's like dealt with his you know wife, this battle axe of a woman apparently. <laughs> And he's like, I just want to have a little joy in his life, you know, <clears throat> while he still can. Mm-hmm. He wants to, like, I just want, I just want to fifty shades of gray. Hell, I'd sell it for one shade of gray. <laughs> and he, and like, uh, by the way, you should reimburse me on that sex maid because you got all the good stuff. Like, he want Tim wants Dan to reimburse him on the sex maid because they went to Dan. Dan's like, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> it was just a little funny bit. Uh, so. So Dan goes to his hotel, right, at the uh, the Doddlin Annex, and uh, he goes in, and he talks. Starts, he he calls Paul on the uh, on Facetime, and he tells him about the stuff that uh, you know him getting bullied and stuff, and how uh, you know you shouldn't let people, you shouldn't talk to yourself the way people talk about you, right, and all this and that. And his son's like gets like distracted because there's all a bunch of people behind his dad. So Dan turns around and there's like just like a whole group of people. And like Dan's like, what the fuck is going on? Like they're just looking out his window, and he goes up to the receptionist to talk to the the, the guy, and he's like, what? And like you find out that he's just signed up, which I don't understand. He's basically signed up to be in this museum, uh, in this room, uh, an installation room, but he's the one paying them to be there, and he's basically now art in their. He's a display now. He's called American Businessman 42. And I'm thinking, like, wait, wait, why does he have to pay you to be there? Wouldn't you guys have to pay him? Or in 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 fact, it not even be paid at all and just be like like a free room and board because like a quid uh, quid pro quo? <clears throat> yeah. Did you get the free room and, and they get and, to stare at you? Yeah, and they get to stare at you. But for whatever reason, he ends up paying for the the room. And uh and the, the guy's like, You are art. And he's like, I'm not. And I love, I don't know why I fell in love with the receptionist because he like, like this guy just embodied like the artsy museum, like clerk or whatever, right? And well, who's to say <laughs> what, what's art or what's not art? <laughs> he's like, my life is an art. Like people shouldn't watch. It's like, people, what did he say? He said like, it's up to them to watch whatever they want. <laughs> no, he's like, it's up to them to choose what they watch. And like, like the way like he carries himself. So like, uh, like uh, not refined, I guess kind of refined, like just like with a le- like one of those kind of uh, uh, like modern artists. Yeah, just like so thing. calm and collected. Yeah, he's like you're art, <laughs> and like the one he said, like, well, who can say? After Dan says, like, I'm not art. Like, well, who can say? Like he raises one of his eyebrows up, and it's just, I don't know why. Like I wish I could like that character had been in the movie more. Uh. So uh, Mike is uh, so I guess Dan stays at the he has to see he does stay at the hotel. There's no there's nowhere else, no other place. All of fucking Berlin is fucking packed. So he's 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 now American businessman forty two, <laughs> and he's also paying for his room for some fucking reason. Yeah. And so uh, Mike goes out with the girl that he met on the plane. They're they're hanging out. They're talking. They're walking the streets of Berlin. They go back to somebody's. I don't know if it's her place or maybe she's there on vacation, or some whoever's place it is. And they're do they're doing the wheelbarrow position, but they're doing it with Mike's. Uh, uh, you know, you know how Mike is. 
he ends up the one getting being the wheelbarrow and not her. So she's the one holding him up by his legs. <clears throat> and he's like, I don't really like this position at all. Like, my balls really hurt. And like she he's like, it doesn't like does it feel good for you? She's like, No, not in the slightest. So the wheelbarrow position is completely fucking ruined on that not on that try. Uh so uh Dan has another voiceover. Uh he's running in the park again. With some of his wife's. He actually found some clothes, I guess. He, I guess he bought some. And uh, he's running with these new clothes in the park. He's talking about how he's worried about, like, not only am I worried about uh, Paul, but I'm not, now I'm worried about you. Because you beat the shit out of a little Asian kid. So now he's worried about his daughter. He's worried about his son. He's worried about the, being the fluffer in this in this deal because now he can feel that he is. And so he's like, he's like forget this damn uh, this uh, run. He goes back to his hotel room and starts looking for Bill Wimsley, the man that he built a deal with for the last year. Uh, Jim's, I guess, underling, and so uh, they and so uh, Mike puts Bill's name into uh, Instagram, and he finds him, and he says like we can look when he updates something we can look for him, and uh, he does up say up, update something, and he looks like he's in Folsom uh, Europe. So then they hit every gay bar in Berlin, <laughs> looking for Bill Wimsley. And they have no luck at all. They're like, it's a quick montage. Like, hey, Bill, Bill Wimsley, you seen him? Like, everyone's like, uh, and then Mike's like uh, talking to a, a man. He's like, uh, like, oh, you never been to a gay bar? Then no, I've never. This is my first time. This place, so, this is so nice. The guy's like, are you, are you gay? He's like, no. But you guys seem to be having a lot of fun. Like, Mike's always down for whatever, apparently. <laughs> so they're having no luck. It's been raining. Uh, Dan's freshing up in one of these bathrooms, and he turns around, and so this dick comes through a glory hole, just like a full fucking cock. I'll give him respect that it wasn't just titties and ass you saw from women. You see a lot of dick too. Let me have a quick sip of uh, mango madness. So this this dick comes out, and he's like, the dad's like, what the fuck? And the guy starts having a conversation with him about asking about the rain, asking him about like, and and Mike's like, and Dan's like trying to be as normal as possible, but it's impossible when you're talking, having a conversation with a penis. And, uh, and then another dick comes out of the fucking wall. So now there's two dicks he's talking to, and one of them is like, uh, "Why don't you say just you know just green eggs and green eggs and ham it?" Like you remember the green eggs and ham book mm-hmm. where like you just tried or whatever. Yeah. And he's like, uh, "Dad's like, yeah, I loved the book as a kid. I don't remember the part of sucking cocks <laughs> in the book." So then Mike comes in, and uh, to to look for Dan, and he sees like, "Whoa!" Like he just sees dicks just hanging from a wall. And uh, one of them says hi, and the other one says hi, and something about like a, a handshake, right? And I, I think Dan says something, and Mike takes it literally because he goes up to shake one of the dicks, like a handshake, and then Mike grabs it and just shakes it, and then you realize he pulls away, and he's like, "Got kind of hard in my hand a little." It's, it's a weird <laughs> sequence. So then Dan, he has his ass up against the wall, I guess, to protect his asshole. Is <laughs> his thinking. And he gets someone, uh, he, but he put it over a hole. So all of a sudden, a, a dick just boom hits him in the ass, and he fucking it pushes him out off the wall. And this fucking massive ass dick comes out. By the way, the dick for the actor is too dark to be his. I'm dead. Like uh, I know they had like a stunt dick, right? Not the actor's actual dick, but they should have picked a, a color, a color equivalent <laughs> dick, because this dick was black, and this man, this is a white man. Is what I'm trying to tell you here. <laughs> like that was not his dick. <laughs> and uh, the dick, it turns out, that, that bumped into Dan, it is Bill Wimsley's penis. He's like, Bill? Bill Wimsley? 
And Bill's like, oh, yeah, who's this? Like, it's Dan from Apex Selects. It's like, hey, Dan. <laughs> but, uh, that, that, like, nervous, like, that, that embarrassed, like, hey, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, well, I've been looking everywhere for you, Bill. I uh, I have I got these new numbers here I want you to look at. And uh, Bill does this great thing, like, uh, where he's like, as you can see, this wasn't the uh, thing I was looking to do tonight. Like, he was like, like you have to watch it because I can't explain it well. But he does, like, a pause. On like, uh, like, and like, you can tell within the pause that coming here to talk about numbers from his job is not what he came here to do. He came here to get his sucked, <laughs> his dick sucked, <laughs> was his true plan. So he's like, "What's your margin percentage?" And he's like, "Seventeen percent." Like, well, now that does have my. He does fucking fixes his glasses. Now that does have my attention. So uh, let me uh, sort myself out, and I'll meet you out back. Uh, pretty much like, let me put my dick away, and I'll meet you out back. <laughs> you know, he reminds me of in this movie. Reminds me of uh, Ron Jeremy. Oh, really? Without minus the sexual assault that he went to jail. <laughs> Ron Jeremy, you're an evil man. <laughs> anyway, moving on. So they find uh, they find Bill, and uh, he, Dan shows him the numbers, and Bill's just like, wow, these are amazing numbers. Like, completely uh, destroys Chuck's uh, numbers from her, uh, her company. And so they decide to celebrate. Like, yes, the numbers work. Let's celebrate. So they have a huge montage, like a huge like montage, which is like my favorite part of the movie. Like Tim takes ecstasy. Like uh, he throws, he 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 shoots, he throws a dart. He's supposed to throw a dart at Mike's the apple on Mike's head, but he throws it right at his chest. Oh, and then Mike doesn't even feel it, and he's like, just throw it. It's the waiting. That's the worst part. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. They end up meet making friends with these sailors. Then they end up having a fist fight with the sailors. Then they go back to being friends with the sailors. Uh, Mike has a, a, a tequila slaps with this Asian businessman. So they take a shot of tequila and they slap the other guy. And it's, 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 just, it's all going crazy. So then after the, after the party montage, uh, Dan and Bill, they're having a heart-to-heart. They're, 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 going back down, they're walking down the street. I guess Dan's walking Bill to his hotel room. And they're having like a, a little like a... Uh, little heart to heart about like uh you know like uh the danny the thing is like um I, i'm not the type of guy that just wants to put stick his dick into a hole like it's the only way it's a, but it's like the only way you can get any like action nowadays yeah because he's like he's a middle-aged pear-shaped man and uh they start talking about like the, the regrets of like the recent couple of years or whatever and how dan's like uh he was training for the the uh st louis marathon and he had got up to 15 miles last year to run it but then because of the deal that he had to keep going like 31 trips to make the deal with Bill. Like he just ended up not doing the, the marathon. And then like Dan's or Bill's like, yeah, like with this deal, all I've been doing in work with, cause of work, all I've been doing is just packing food on. Like I used to play rugby. I used to be all kinds of ripped. I love that. He's like, he's like I always be all kinds of ripped. <laughs> I love that line that he, the way he delivers it. <laughs> and like, Dan's like, well, Bill, don't worry. You got a big dick. He's like, yeah, but I can't even suck that anymore. So it turns out he could suck his own dick back in the day. <laughs> so yeah, kind of like Rod Jeremy. <laughs> uh, so uh, the next day, freaking Dan's card declines uh, at the hotel at the, uh, the the museum. So they kick him out. So you can't kick me out. I'm art. He's like, you leaving will be art as well. They fucking throw him out on his ass. <laughs> and uh, what happened after that? Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, so uh, so the the team gets there. Uh, Mike, uh, Tim, and Dan, and uh, instead of meeting with Gelger, they meet with Jim by himself. No bill there, uh, no new numbers, no nothing. D- Jim's just gonna listen to their presentation. That's it. 
and they're like they're like they look completely defeated because they know damn well just talking to Jim was not gonna work. So they they present to Jim, and then later uh, uh, when Dan's uh, uh, this is yeah this is the moment they know they're the fluffer when they just meet with Bill by himself, or no with with Jim by himself right. right. Uh, so uh, Mike gets a call. I don't know why I put Mike. Dan gets a call from Mike or from Jim a little bit later and tells him that uh, they're gonna go with uh, Chuck's team or Chuck's company instead of Mike's or instead of Dan's. And Dan's like, "Fuck!" So Dan finds some eyeliner, uh, eyeshadow, some teal eyeshadow, puts it on his eyes, and he calls uh, uh, Paul on the uh, on the um, FaceTime. I keep forgetting about FaceTime, and uh, he talks to him about. Uh, well, first he talks to his daughter and says, like, you're a kid and you don't have to worry about Paul because the reason she beat up that with that other kid was because they were making fun of Paul, calling him double stuff Oreo, which are like nasty Oreos, by the way. Double stuff Oreos. And uh, he's like, don't worry about Paul. That's my job. Your job is just to be a kid. Just enjoy being a kid. And, uh, <clears throat> oh, by the way, way earlier in the movie, I forgot to, I don't know where I missed it, but uh, his wife texted him. It was during the hotel thing when they were trying to get a hotel. Uh, she texted him like, "We need to either we pull the uh, we pull the trigger on the uh, private school or no," and he's like, "Just do it," but like now they don't have the money. To... Yeah, but they had done it earlier, so he's like, "Fuck." <laughs> so then he talks to Paul, and Paul's like, "Oh, you're wearing eyeliner." He's like, "Yeah, you know, we gotta be teal tough." And he tells him like, uh, he basically tells him like, uh, "Look, uh, you're gonna go to school. You're gonna go to new school next year, but it's not really gonna change anything." Like you just have to be tough. You need to, you know, roll with, you need to, you know, just, like, he gives them a good speech about just, like, uh, you have to accept uh, yourself and not worry about what people say or what people do and just, you know, enjoy your life, basically. Right. Like, you know, like, and you, I'm always here when you need to talk to me. Like, you can tell me anything, and I'll never tell it, to, you know, it's just in complete confidence. No one will ever know but me. Right. I'm like, probably, like, the best father uh, bond or best father-son, like, interaction I've ever seen. Like, Dan, like, Vince Vaughn, no less. Like, he always comes off as goofy and not serious. Mm-hmm. He just really knocked it out of the park in this movie, to me. And then Dan, Paul's like, uh, thanks, Dad. And then he's like, uh, so did you get the handshake? And Paul, and then Dan's like, ah. He does the fake freeze, like, ah. It's <laughs> like, so Dan froze again. <laughs> so he still can't fucking, uh. <laughs> there is a moment in the movie earlier where he says, like, and uh, your dad freezes. Like, when you're doing, like, the voiceover for the daddy uh, assignment. Your dad freezes sometimes when all all the life's problems come crashing down all at once. He tends to freeze on FaceTime, so he doesn't have to deal with them right away. <laughs> like, like, I don't know why this movie didn't do better than it did. It is such a, like, it's parts raunchy, parts sentimental. Such a perfect combination. Maybe because it was R-rated is why. It could be. If it was PG-13, it should have hit the, it had got uh, almost a billion dollars. <laughs> uh, so, so now with the two not getting through. Uh, now Dan has to has to fire Tim. He's gonna have to fire Mike. He's gonna have to uh, like he just have to com- uh, admit defeat. He ends up going out to drink with like these people that know him as American. Like now in Berlin, he's really famous as American businessman forty two. So these fans of him, they invite him to go out drinking. So he gets fucking shit faced, and he ends up sleeping on the street, like just in a just in a parking bench, like a like a like a, a bench in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and uh, Mike ends up beating another girl, and he successfully does the wheel. He gets laid twice in this movie, and he he ends up doing the re- the wheelbarrow with this girl the right way. He's like, it's so obvious now, this was the way. 
So Dan's wandering the street. He's still doing the voiceover for his daughter. This is her little assignment. And he realizes, like, you know what? That's enough. Like, no more. Uh, he decides that he watches. He, he walks in on the Berlin Marathon. Mm-hmm. And just as it starts, the Berlin Marathon is going through. And he just like he just says, "Fuck it." He's in his business suit. And he just starts running with the Berlin with the Berlin uh, uh, the joggers, the the runners, I guess. Mm-hmm. And like yeah, everyone's excited, like for whatever reason, the news the news people are like American business at forty two. Like the the there's like news anchors like talking commenting on him being in the race. And like you don't know what she's saying because it's in German, but you know she's an American businessman, forty-two, within the little thesk, uh, uh, phrase. So he runs the whole fucking marathon. I don't know how many miles it is, but it, it, just waking up off the fucking bench and just running a marathon does not seem easy to me. But he look he looks fucking ragged when he's like, hey. and he did it. So he like he does the voiceover. He says like, well now we're gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get the team together and we're gonna get to Gelger and we're gonna seal this deal. And I'm getting that goddamn handshake. So for whatever reason, I guess because he had her hit rock bottom, uh, he just said, "Fuck it, let me just run the, the the Berlin Marathon," and so and that gave him the motivation to meet with Gelger. So he calls B- Bill up and says, "Like Bill, get me in there with your uh, the entire head of all of Gelger, pretty much to the boss of bosses here." And Bill's like, "I can't do that. I can't go over Jim's head." Like Bill, yes you can. Get me in there to meet with uh, Gelger, and he's like, "Dan, I can't. I guess you got a big dick. You better get me in there." So so they get so they get to the uh, the offices right, but now there's a fucking problem. There is a huge uh, protest outside the the building. There there are protests in the G8, which I still don't know what that is. I probably have to look it up. Uh, it's uh, super rich countries. The U.S. is part of it. I don't know why they're okay. They're protesting the G8. <laughs> Maybe some of their policies they didn't like. Who knows, little boy. And uh, so Dan, so Tim and Mike, are like, how are we gonna get in there? And like, we'll figure out a way. So some somebody hops the fence that they they, they that they created around the building. They they rip it open, and then they so they get through this little hole. And then you just see you see the protesters run on one side. Then you see Dan, Tim, and Mike run on the other side. The the police are shooting tear gas into the crowd. Uh, Dan gets up to the building and he tells the guy like, "Hey, we're we're not part of this protest here. We're we're actually here to meet a very important person. Can we come in?" The guy yells at him in German, pushes him away. Dad's like, "Hey, everything's cool. I just need to go in. I'm not part of this group." And then the guy pushes him again. So Dan gets mad, like, "Don't you fucking touch me!" And then Tam gets even madder and grabs a fucking trash can and throws it at the cop. So then the cops shoot him, shoot all three of them with fucking paintballs, which is like the most non-lethal thing I've ever seen. I guess there's supposed to be like uh, tear gas. Uh, paintballs or whatever. Yeah, they just blast Mike. Uh, Matt, blast, uh, they hit Dan, and Dan drops. He's like, <laughs> all his papers all over the fucking place. He's fucking coughing, drooling. He's fucking dying. Uh, uh, Mike, I don't know what Mike was doing. He had a backpack in front of his like chest, like to shield his uh, body. Tim got shot. He didn't even react at all. He'd been shot before by tear gas. So then he looks helpless. But then Bill comes up and tells him that he needs those three men in the office immediately. So they let him in. Uh, Bill uh, takes out his, his like, he, he tells him, grab your uh, top sheet. Let's go to meet the, I, you got three minutes tops. He meets with the boss. Uh, they have a quick conversation, and uh, they realize how much, like, in common they have. Because mm-hmm. uh, Dan asks, uh, the guy asks him, how, like, how many work for you? He's like, just three, including me. He's like, huh, I started with four myself. And, like, now I have 200,000. And, uh, and then they, they kind of like hit it off. So they like, oh, your, your deal is like, he just said like your deal is just slightly better than the other one. And like, that's just enough for him. And they have the handshake and like Dan throughout this whole movie, all he wanted, like when he saw that, like he didn't believe the handshake, 
And the guy's like, you going to shake my hand or not? He's like, yes, I am. They shake hands. Done and done. He tells the group. The group's excited. Uh, they, they, they find Chuck at a, at a restaurant. And then they dance in front of her to, to mock her. And for whatever reason, Mike pulls his ass out and uh, moons her. They look at that ass. <laughs> and um, they, they go back to St. Louis. <laughs> and Jim is in St. Louis to meet his boss. And uh, they see uh, <laughs> Dan sees. It's funny because they're going down the uh, they're going down the uh, escalator, right? <laughs> and they see Jim coming up the escalator escalator to go back to on his flight, right? So like, oh, Dan's like, "Oh, you went you came to see your boss, huh, Jim?" He's like, "That's right." Oh, hey Dan, can I get your address? He's like, "I like to send flowers to anyone who fucks me," because I had screwed over Jim. <laughs> He's like, "Oh, make sure to make it out to Tim and Mike too. It's a three way." <laughs> and then and Mike's like, "You were my third fuck." <laughs> <laughs> and then fucking uh, uh, Jim flips him off as, he, as he's leaving so you can tell they're not going to be friends anytime soon uh, Dan gets home uh, family's happy and uh, the next morning after everything's settled uh, uh, by the way Tim uh, hooks up with the, uh, the the maid not the sex maid he hired the real maid the real maid yeah because <laughs> they had been, apparently kept in touch as he was in Berlin so he's like uh, let's go get that wheelbarrow and he asked her to stay in her maid uniform when he picked her, when she picked him up, which it doesn't really make any sense to me because she met him in Portland, Maine. So that means she had to come back to St. Louis. But it's a little discreet, you know what I mean? It's a little uh, continuity issue, but I'll let it go because it's a good movie. Yeah. You know, you know why Brian can't let stuff go sometimes. <laughs> uh, uh, Dan's uh, the whole time he's been trying to do that homework for his daughter. Like, who's your daddy? And, uh, and, t- and at the end, she wrote it for him anyway, because the next morning she's like, uh, uh, the wife's asked, asked the daughter, did you do your homework? And Dan's like, oh shit, the daddy the homework. And I forgot. And she's like, the daughter's like, don't worry, I did it. So they all leave to go to school. And he's, he has a quick look at what she wrote. And all it says is like, uh, my dad's the one that, uh, drives when everyone else is tired. And I was like, that's a good line. Yeah, it is. Always being the one that does it, you know, when everyone's exhausted or when they, they need help, he's always there. Mm-hmm. And he kind of was. And the movie ends, and I'm like, man. <laughs> so that's it. That is my full review. And uh, over my, for, what's the, my full uh, rundown of Unfinished Business. <sighs> I wish it was commentary because there's a lot of stuff in there I needed, I needed to understand. <laughs> but that is it, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you enjoy these longer uh, actual podcast episodes. <laughs> For this one, we will see you. Well, we'll, we'll keep going anyway. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> so, what you got for us, Mike? All righty. So, what do you have for us in Urban Dictionary today? A lot. <laughs> well, the, the base ten. Yeah. Uh, we got. We start off with. Um, this was written by Doc Starn on November twenty sixth, twenty twenty. Uh, raccoon dick. I can see your face. Your head tilt told me everything. Like, what the fuck is Rick? <laughs> uh, what happens when your partner didn't clean out the rectal cavity well enough and you have anal sex? You pull out and after a good session, you pull out after a good session, finally you have a brown ring around the base of your penis. Oh. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, all right, next one is called, I like this one, uh, Cinnamon Muff. It is basically a girl with ginger slash strawberry blonde pubic hair. Makes sense, though. I like it. <laughs> this next one's called blanket fucking 
<laughs> a black thing is when you find a hole in your blanket and stick your dick in it. <laughs> my my advice is you should probably change your blankets after you have you to, got that many holes yeah, in it. Yeah, just fucking sl- sling your dick through all of them. Uh, this one's called. This next one's kind of funny because it's called Trichocosaurus. No, Trichocosaurus. It is a woman who is adept at taking three cocks at a time. It's a whore. I guess. <laughs> or a professional. This one's called. Uh, this other one's called dick smacking. It's uh, when you're smacking someone with your penis hard or soft, erect or flaccid, usually in the face or ass. Sometimes I tap her on the shoulder with it and she goes, oh, hey. <laughs> so this guy likes to tap dicks a lot, I guess. Apparently. Next one is called stuff job. Uh, when a male partakes in the stuffing of his scrotum and its contents inside of the vagina, he then proceeds to jack off on her belly button. I don't even know if you could put your balls in a vagina. Are they hard enough to go in? Exactly. This guy could get. I'm sure there's. Some, I'm sure there's some weird way to do it. So I'm not going to question things anymore. Otherwise, you're going to get answers and responses on how to. We'll be waiting for those responses. <laughs> This other one's called Ridgemont Hill High School. They're, they tore this fucking high school apart, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> a high school in northern Ridgemont Hill, which no one no one's heard of. It is pretty shit high school, commonly confused with as Richmond Green. The school is the size of the men's washroom in Silver City. <laughs> uh, tiny as fuck. It is popular with two-thirds Asians, one-six Persians, and one-six Jews. The classes are shitty, and a whiteboard is a rare occurrence. They suck in every sport but math, uh, but, but math teams and nerd shit, and they still have the worst fans ever. The school budget is near thirty-six cents, and for some godforsaken reason, we host sporting events in in, in our tiny, small ass gym. The football field looks like a couple of cow shit on it, and a pile of dirt was made. Uh, there were there are Africans that have been here since nineteen eighty-six because they cannot pass a, gr- a grade twelve course. They have nothing better to do than uh, go to the farts and smoke weed. So this person goes to the school and they fucking hate it, is what I'm guessing. You ready for this next one? Uh, maybe, maybe. Spi- a spicy howitzer. Fisting someone's asshole with a sandpaper Indian curry. Oh. <laughs> I know. Oh, God. Mm-mm. All right, we got uh, uh, Cincinnati water slide. Ow, I got a debris in my eyeball. Uh, when you pitch on when. <laughs> When you piss on a thoughts a thought hooker's fake tits and spit a loogie on your stream so it water slides down her cleavage. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I do love the creativity in some of these. It's very creative, but oh god. Senior citizen sandwich. To have a three way with two senior citizens. I'm I'm good. I just need This one was written by Salvador Dolly Parton. I like that. So that means he wants Dolly Parton, basically. Hey, man, I'd take Dolly Parton today. Ah. <laughs> I know you wouldn't. Come on, girl, let's get it on. And if you feel like I feel, I ain't got no age limit. <laughs> if she can sing that song. As long as, they're, as long as they're legal, they can be as high as 95. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming you're taking her with the uh, the Dallas Cowboy uniform. <laughs> she can wear that that suit she had on the little doll, the little whorehouse movie she did. 
<laughs> what was it? The the best little whorehouse? Yeah, that's it. Something. <laughs> that's it for uh, Urban Dictionary. Cool. Gotta get me a senior citizen sandwich while I'm still young. Oh. I'd still, I'd still hit it with uh, the woman that plays uh, Kitty Foreman in that 90s show. Oh, so you'd have Dolly Parton and her? Done and done. <laughs> Let's get it on. <laughs> Come on, lady. Let me see them wrinkles. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what can I tell you? I'm an equal opportunity fucker. Yeah, at least you're going up in age, though. Yeah. Better than going down. Well, the limit. What's the limit? 18? I'm just saying, there's people that are even weirder than that, so. Weirder than 18? They try to go below that. Like, <laughs> like, like Alabama? They try to be Epstein, you know? Ugh. And still, 18 is... It's close, but I mean, like, if it's legal, and it's not, it's consensual, and my whole thing you is... You do you. What are you going to have in common? Well, this dick fits in that vagina, I'm guessing. <laughs> I mean, Maybe. I, I don't know. She could be a whore, man. She could be what is it a uh, a try uh, <laughs> try Sarah Cox <laughs> try Cockasaurus that's it try Cockasaurus I mean she may have a lot of experience my fucking eye is fucked up there's a hair in my eyeball. I can't concentrate <laughs> no I'm just like uh, what well, I guess like I don't have a type I just like you know as long as I like you I know you got kitty form and you got Dolly you almost said kitty porn is what I heard in my head I'm like don't you say that that's a damn lie. Kitty Foreman. Kitty Foreman, yes, that's what I said. <laughs> All right. You know who I, well, that is my, now who do I really like? Older woman. Yeah, it's Kitty Foreman. <laughs> oh, Helen Mirren. She can still get the business. <laughs> I mean, you like know, you know how people have types. They're like, I like blonde, or I like brunettes, and like I, li- I like women. I don't. <laughs> she could be big, three hundred pounds with some massive titties. She could be eighty nine pounds and four eleven. She could be six foot three, uh, two twenty, and a linebacker for the St. Louis uh, Rams. And I'd still, <laughs> I'm like, let's get it on. <laughs> I have no type. I, I obviously I like it all. <laughs> Like it, it's like it feels too constricted to have you know just a one specific type. When there's just I, when there's a plethora of beautiful women in the world. Depends on what you consider beautiful. All of them. We have different standards. <laughs> Let's get on that business, ladies. Lizzo, if you're looking for a man, it's getting on. Or what was the uh, the show she had? Uh, this dick has no restrictions. <laughs> Uh, All right, that shit's out. Uh, that's it for uh, midweek definitions. Get you some 10 more next week. <laughs> All righty, for this week's breakdown, um, we have one of my favorite animes, aside from Overlord, um, just because it's got a similar feel to it, is Eminence and Shadow. Oh. Sorry. You're doing sound effects now. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> so, uh, Eminence and Shadow is a... Um, it's similar to Overlord in Promised kind of, a little bit. So, like, he's got a, uh, a group of people that follow him, and he's the leader. And he was Isekai'd, basically, which means he was sent to another world. And the whole and massive power. That's a whole genre, isn't it? It is. <laughs> Interesting. It really is. 
but Eminence of Shadows, it's got comedy in it, and it's got uh, some of the best fight scenes in all of anime, in my opinion. Just because it's like, things just fall into his lap <laughs> throughout the entire series. So, uh, we start off, it's a 20-episode series uh, for the first season, and then season two is out right now, which I have seen, but it's, it's a good anime. <laughs> Uh, the first episode is called The Hated Classmate. So, uh, Akane Nishino is a famous actress and a good student who is friendly with her classmates. However, her behavior around them is a front she uses to conceal her own anger and bitterness. Left behind in a wake of an incident in which a fan of hers kidnapped and molested her. Evil. Yeah. That started dog pretty quick. It's pretty dark. <laughs> not as dark as the. It's not the lost episodes. Yes, it's not that bad. <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, it doesn't ever go into that kind of level. Um, she despises everyone around her. Classmate uh, Minoru Kagano, in particular, he barely acknowledges her existence and seems to struggle to even remember her name. He is briefly shown to carry weights in his bag uh, and clothing uh, in his bag and clothing to increase his strength. Nishino is kidnapped by criminals who intend to ransom her, but they are interrupted by Kagano, who is disguised as a masked vigilante calling himself the Stylish Ruffian Slayer. Great name. Great. Good job. He's basically like a kick-ass character. (laughs) That's basically what they're going for with that. The criminals refuse to take him seriously at first, but quickly acknowledge him as a dangerous brawler, capable of defeating whole gangs by himself. Known to them as uh, the Baklava bra- Berserker. Baklava Berserker, because he's got a ma- like a. This seems like a like they, like this seems like a very interesting premise. It just changes into a complete different genre. Yeah, it's a weird choice. Yeah, this is just first episode. So <laughs> when they witness him dual wielding cross uh, crowbars, because mm-hmm. he fucks people up with crowbars, <laughs> uh, and he basically he's tied. <laughs> The entire time he's getting ready to fight these dudes that have kidnapped, kidnapped uh, Akane, he's telling them, it's like, yeah, I beat the shit out of these motorcycle gangs, but I had to start, uh, what was it, start using a different fighting style and with the crowbars because they started wearing helmets <laughs> whenever he had smacked the shit out of them. Smart guy. So they started wearing helmets yeah. for that reason. So Slayer defeats both men and frees Nishino, who suspects that Kagano is responsible for her rescue. A few days later, Kagano is abruptly hit by a truck and killed. Well, well, fuck. <laughs> Did he just take the premise of kick-ass? Because he got hit by a car, but he survived. Yeah. And he just, what What was the point then of having a premise of kick-ass? Because it shows that he's been training the entire time. So the entire time for the, so far in this first episode, he's uh, constantly carrying around weights with him because he's gaining strength. He's beating, the, he's basically a vigilante yeah, in, this, in this town. What about the the new world? What's that like? We're, is it like a fantasy world or is it like a fa- well? It's fantasy modern, so it's got a like um. I would, I would equivalent the uh, the technology to like the nineteen thirties. Hmm. So like they have lights, they have, but they haven't invented a bunch of things yet. So that's gonna suck. Like they have, uh, it, it, they have. Uh, carriages and stuff like that still oh god they don't have cars at their sewage system must be terrible <laughs> they do get get cars eventually throughout the the series 
Uh, so through a flashback, Kagano explains that for his entire life, he wanted to become a secret mastermind manipulating society from the shadows to protect the innocent, to be the fictional heroes he looked up to, and relentlessly trained in martial arts in the hopes that he might one day become as powerful to overcome a nuclear bomb. Because he's like, in his mind... Well, he's insane. <laughs> kind of. Well, his whole thinking is, okay, I can train my body to fight, but what if somebody gets a gun? Then I have to learn how to defeat a gun. Then what if somebody has a weapon that's bigger than that? How do I defeat that? How do I defeat a nuclear bomb? Like, there's always a, another level to everything that he trains for. It's insanely. Yes. Like, how do I take a bullet to the face? <laughs> I, oh, well, you can't. So in death, Kagane laments that no matter how hard he trained or how much he had tried, achieving such a level of power was functionally impossible, as the laws of physics impeded him. Oh, so he's not insane. No, he's not insane. Rendering him an ordinary human no matter what he did. So he could train his body to the best of his abilities, to the Batman level, you know, whatever. I wouldn't say it made him ordinary. If he could beat it like 20 people. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty exceptional. But having died, Kagano finds himself reborn in an alternate world with magical powers and rededicates himself to his desire to manipulate and control society under cover of darkness as the eminence in shadow. Mm. And that's where the title comes from. <laughs> so episode two is called Shadow, Go uh, shadow Garden is Born. So in his new world, Minoru Kagano is now reborn as Sid Kagano. Or a... Uh, Kageno, I guess, was his name previously, but Kagano is what his actual name is now. So his name is Sid Kagano. Uh, the son of minor nobles of the kingdom of Mid uh, Midgar, Baron and Lady Kagano, and a younger brother to a sister, Claire. In, becoming, uh, in keeping with his previous life, Sid trains in secret and resumes his vigilante lifestyle by killing bandits to become the secret mastermind that, uh, that he adores so much. One day, Sid discovers a living blob of rotting flesh, and after experimenting on it, succeeds in curing the curse afflicting it, returning it to its true form, an elven girl with bewitching beauty. <laughs> and he does it by accident completely. He's just fucking with it, because he doesn't know what it is. And he, he uh, restricts, because he, at this point, he knows how to use uh, magic. So, like, he's born in this world, and... He figures out how to manipulate like energy patterns of magic. So he's like, a, he grows like he grows up a child, and he or he's just he automatically adult when he gets here. No, he grows up from the base to like he's completely reborn. But does he have like the memories of who he was before? Yes, that'd be brutal, especially in a baby's body. Yeah, but he was only a high school kid. So. I'd be like, no, because you have no range of motion. You're like, you're not uh, complete. I was like, I'd lose my fucking mind. <laughs> uh, purely for his own amusement, Sid, in character as the Eminence in Shadow, because this is all in his, like, he's playing Eminence in Shadow, uh, he convinces a girl she is a descendant of ancient heroes who defeated, defeated a demon called Diablos, <laughs> whom a cult is secretly trying to resurrect. Believing his lies, the girl falls deeply in love with him and swore to devote her life to him after agreeing to form a group called Shadow Garden to resist the cult. Sid gives her the name Alpha, the most generic, <laughs> but is secretly amused that Alpha believed his entirely fabricated story. Because in his mind, he's, never, he's just making shit up as he goes. <laughs> Three years later, Claire is abruptly kidnapped. Alpha, who has uh, now recruited, recruited six other girls, Beta, Gamma, Delta, Epsilon, Zeta, and Eta. Great choices. Yeah, uh, he just, yeah he just randomly given. He just literally killed him. Shit he can remember. 
as the Shadow 7 into Sid's service. Locates Claire and confirms she was kidnapped by the Cult of Diablos. So even though he made this shit up, it actually exists in this world. So he's like, the Cult of Diablos is the one that's doing all this, and there really is a Cult of Diablos in this new world. Uh, Sid has convinced the girls, a, uh, he, he's convinced that the girls are merely role-playing with him, uh, completely unaware that the cult genuinely exists and intends for Claire to be used as Diablos's host body upon his resurrection. Hmm. So even though in his mind he's making the shit up, it so, literally exists. Did he create what's happening in this world, or is he just there? I think that uh, it, it's, I think partially that. Like, it's never been said what it is. It'd be, be real boring. <laughs> so whatever he thinks, I guess. Yeah, you know, what it sounds like. <laughs> so Sid leads the attack under the impression he is hunting normal bandits. <laughs> and most of the cultists are killed. Claire escapes during the chaos and, with no idea Sid was involved, later leaves to attend Midgar Academy as planned. Sid, still completely ignorant of the, uh, what really happened, is surprised when Alpha and the other shadows abruptly announce they are leaving. So they, they basically let him be on his own at this point, at the end of episode two. Episode three, uh, Fencer Ordinaire. So the sh uh, the Seven Shadows split up to hunt the cult all over the world. And that's the real reason they left Sid behind is they think that they're doing his mission, basically going out to go hunt this cult. Sid believes they simply grew up and got uh, tired of role-playing with him. Uh, that was what he thought had happened. He enrolls in Midgard Academy as Claire did where he hides his abilities and deliberately avoids standing out. He basically wants to be a mob character <laughs> to where nobody knows who he is, but in the secret shadows, he's like this all-powerful character that he's role-playing in his own mind, uh, choosing two extremely average boys, Skell and Poe, to be his friends. As a, forfeit do uh, as a forfeit for doing badly on a test, Sid is forced to public hu publicly humiliate himself by offering a fake love confession to the much higher class Alexia, a princess of Midgar. Sid plays... <laughs> and he does this so that way he can be the typical background character in normal life. Wow. And offers the confession. And is shocked when Princess Alexia agrees to be his girlfriend. Well, fuck. <laughs> he like, fuck. <laughs> Watching the episode, though, you get no idea. Like... He tries so hard to be that kind of like most the most awkward person in the world, where he's like, uh, reach hand out, out to a certain degree. He's trying to be the Peter Parker, so they don't think he's a Spider Man. Yes, huh? Only he like he puts so much thought into it, like the degree of uh, bending to bow before this person. Like in his own mind, he's going through all this, and he's like, please. <laughs> like the most, uh, the most nerdy thing you could possibly think of is what he's doing. Uh, when she invites Sid uh, to uh, to her fencing class, he discovers Alexia is engaged in the royal fencing instructor Zenon, but she has no desire to marry him, and has decided to use Sid as a tool of petty revenge against him. And that's the only reason she really accepted him to be her boyfriend. Fully aware both that he is being used and of Princess Alexia's spitefulness and selfishness, Sid agrees to continue their fake relationship in exchange for money. In exchange for money? Where she'll flick a coin and he'll jump after it like a dog and grab it. He's a fucking, uh, gigolo at this point. But, like, it's like where she tells him, here, fetch, then he'll go run after the coin. 
<laughs> After two weeks, Alexia admits to him that despite the effort she puts into sword training, she has never been a, as skilled as her sister Iris and was thus nicknamed Fencer Ordinaire. Sid admits he actually likes her sword style, which focuses on mastery of the basics. This angers Alexia, who opts to end their fake relationship. The next day... Baby, don't be like that. <laughs> the next day, Zenon reveals that Alexia has disappeared and has Sid arrested as a prime suspect for her kidnapping. Damn. Yeah. So, episode four is called Sadism Rewards. I don't like the sound of that. Now locked in a cell next to a mutated human girl, Alexia has her blood stolen by a cult scientist who claims that it contains uh, demon DNA. Sid is tortured by knights for Alexia's location, but since he has trained himself to withstand pain, this amount uh, uh, trained himself to withstand pain, this amount of torture is nothing to him. He pretends to be a pathetic but innocent NPC character, <laughs> thinking it makes him look cool. Or he's screaming whenever they're like torturing him and stuff like that, but in reality it doesn't even hurt him. Because in his previous life he had trained his body to not feel pain, basically. And be used to torture. Because he didn't have any superpowers at that point, it was just him. Um, he, After five long days, Princess Iris orders that Sid be released. Alpha suddenly reappears to Sid, bringing news that they have uh, continued to monitor the cult, while increasing the scope of Shadow Garden's influence and power. Sid is impressed that Alpha and her fellow Shadows still occasionally visit to carry on their role-playing game with him and feels grateful for their, curi uh, for their courtesy, still very unaware of Shadow Garden's existence and real power. <laughs> like he thinks they're just coming back to play the game with him when they've really got a lot of power now <laughs> since they left him. Alpha plans to uh, rescue Princess Alexia with 114 loyal soldiers. Nice. <laughs> Sid. Pretty specific number, too. Yeah. Sid plays along to amuse himself, knowing Princess Alexia really has been kidnapped, but mistakenly believing it to be the work of a corrupt knights, and that the 114 soldiers are just background actors Alpha hired. Wait, so what What exactly is he thinking is going on in this world? He thinks it's all pretend. What? But he's living this world. Yes. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> It's all like he doesn't, he's completely unaware of what's really going on. Like, he knows he's in a new world, and he obviously knows that he died, but he thinks that the, this, like, Alpha and the rest of them, they're just basically um, letting him do what he wants to do, but thinking that everything's real, even if, and he thinks it's all fake. Like, he knows he's got powers, but he doesn't think that for some reason that. It, this cult actually exists. He doesn't believe that the shadows really are like a, an organization that they are. So what does he think is real? Like if he thinks it's all fake, he just, he doesn't understand it. Yeah. I don't understand his mindset either. <laughs> In a massive attack, Sid kills the knights who tortured him while his army searches for Princess Alexia. The cult scientist desperately injects Princess Alexia's blood into the mutant girl. She becomes a demon kills the scientist, then frees Princess Alexia. While escaping, Alexia encounters Zenon, who reveals he turned uh, her over to the cult in exchange for being promoted to the role of high-ranking knight. When Princess Alexia attacks him, Zenon easily defeats her, but their duel is interrupted by a sudden arrival of Sid. Or Shadow, is what he calls himself. So episode 5 is called I Am.
Xenon identifies Sid as the one behind recent attacks on the cult and announces himself as one of the cult's core members. The demon girl rampages through the city and fights Princess, uh, Princess Iris. Alpha reveals herself to Iris as a member of Shadow Garden, which is Shadow's group here. Uh, defeats the demon with a single uh, defeats the demon with a single powerful blow, and then vanishes. Basically, proving to this princess that even though she's super strong in this world, that compared to Alpha or Shadow Garden, she's literally nothing but an ant. Because Alpha destroyed like Princess Iris was fighting this demon monster blob on her own and doing some damage to it, but not really doing that much. And then Alpha comes through one shot and is gone completely. Uh, Sid duels Xenon and dominates him. Princess Alexia, who has no idea that Shadow is Sid in disguise, is captivated by his swordplay, which expresses the heart of the style she was has searched for her entire life. Knowing he is outmatched by Shadow, Xenon swallows pills that turn him, in, uh, turn him demonic and increase his power. But using the principles of nuclear explosion, of which he has dreamed for so long, Sid sets off a magical bomb that dissolves everything in the blast, reducing it to atoms, utterly annihilating Xenon and destroying most of the now-evacuated city while leaving behind a huge crater. And all he does is he gathers this magical power, and it's like the... Uh, it's actually kind of cool for the show, but all he does is uh, raises the sword above and he says, I am, atonic, uh, I am atomic, but in like a... Uh, uh, what's that uh, type of video for YouTube where they say it real quietly? Like, where they do stuff. Uh, ASMR? Yeah. But, like, the most ASMR, like, I am atomic. It just, and it just blows everything out. <laughs> like that? Yeah. Literally. Now reunited with Iris, Princess Alexia is freshly determined to master her chosen sword style. Now that Xenon is dead, and having remembered that Sid told her he admired her sword style, she offers to be his real girlfriend, but he, re he abruptly re rejects her. She punishes him by basically killing him. Well, damn, girl. Damn, girl, hold on. <laughs> well, it was just blocked against the wall. You just need a better response to being rejected. <laughs> Which becomes like this uh, thing for the school where it's like the uh, the murder with nobody. Because <laughs> it just blocked against the wall. A murder with nobody. It's a good murder mystery right there. <laughs> uh, Alpha returns to investigating a group that she ha that has been masquerading the Shadow Garden and committing crimes in his name. And Iris orders a kingdom-wide investigation into both the Cult of Diablos and Shadow Garden. Meanwhile, Sid, fresh uh, off his violent encounter with Alexia, meets a scholarly girl with pink hair. Because he didn't kill him. It didn't... Like, his regenerative abilities are just... <laughs> He's not dead, <laughs> but there's blood against the whole wall. <laughs> it had something. <laughs> so episode six we go into, it's called Pretenders. Uh, the False Shadow Garden continues committing murders. A uh, recovered cult relic is given by Iris to the pink-haired student, Sherry, the kingdom's foremost researcher. Uh, Sid's friends Poe and Skell take him to the new department store, where he discovers that his subordinate, Gamma, opened the store to fund Shadow Garden. Basically, everything that Shadow has ever said existed in his old world. Whenever those, um, the the Shadow uh, girls that he has, uh, Alpha, Beta, and the rest of them, he would tell them stories and stuff about uh, what they consider Shadow's knowledge. But it's just his previous life's technology. 
and stuff. So they opened up a department store that sells stuff that existed in the other world. Huh. But since they're the only ones creating this stuff, they have a like a, a huge donut. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sid is impressed, but once again remains convinced that Gamma is role-playing. Unaware now, he owns dozens of stores and effi- uh, is effectively one of the wealthiest men in the world. <laughs> he doesn't realize. <laughs> he doesn't even realize it, though. He also meets New, the newest named number of the Shadow Garden. On his way home, Sid witnesses Alexia fighting several murderers. So, he saves Alexia, slaughters the murderers, and hands one survivor over to New for interrogation. Elsewhere... The murderer's boss, Gaunt Knight, confirms they have located the relic. Alexia confirms Shadow Garden is not really behind the murders, but Iris still insists they are enemies of the kingdom. So her sister still thinks that Shadow Garden's true enemies of the kingdom. Sid, Poe, and Skell, having bought chocolate from Sid's store, tried uh, their luck with confessing to girls. Skell's confessions ends up with him being punished by her fiancé, and Poe's confession ends with him being arrested, mistaken for a stalker. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Sid decides to, uh, to just give the remaining chocolate to anyone, which, by chance, is Sherry. Uh, her adoptive father, Vice Principal Ruslan, informs the naive Sherry the chocolates were probably meant as a love confession and encourages her to decide on her answer quickly so as not to keep Sid waiting. Even though he literally, he had these chocolates, he seen just somebody walking by him and handed them to him. Like, in his, he doesn't even think about it. <laughs> like, he's not looking for a, a, a girl to say yes to anything to him. Mm. Episode 7. Uh, a fencing tournament of intrigue and bloodshed. So, New informs Sid that uh, the murderer she interrogated was a typical cult foot soldier. Uh, an orphan brainwashed with drugs and magic. And that's what this cult does. Drugs and magic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Could you be one or the other, huh? No, it's got to be both. <laughs> uh, one, such, uh, one such soldier, Rex, is in the city on a cult mission. During their conversation, Sid is preoccupied as Skell and Poe have uh, entered him into the Academy Sword Tournament to impress girls. New mistakenly thinks Sid's rambling about the festival is him plotting to deal with Rex. At the festival, Sid duels student president Rose, a princess of the neighboring kingdom. Uh... Oriani. While still role-playing as a secret hero and keeping his skills hidden, he feigns injury repeatedly but persists in the fight, rising to his feet again and again after each of her attacks. Basically, he wants to show how many ways that he can get his ass kicked. <laughs> so he'll get up and let her, like, to where he goes flying over one way, then he learns another one where he goes and spins the other way. Like, he has, like, 42 or 45 different ways he can do it. And he wants to keep getting up to show his new ways where they eventually take him out of the tournament because the referee eventually declares Rose the victor uh, <laughs> because he's tired of seeing it. Because he's like, you've lost so much blood. <laughs> you can't do this anymore. Uh, but Rose, she is impressed after Sid, uh, at Sid's fighting spirit because she thinks that he keeps getting up because he wants to be a fighter, even though he's just wanting to show off his uh, ways that he can get his ass kicked. Hmm. As a background character. So the background character. Like he was like, not a central character. Yes. But I don't matter. Just don't even pay attention to me. <laughs> but in trying to do that so much, he actually impresses this uh, <laughs> this girl, Rose. Uh, Sherry asks Sid to be friends uh, before they consider dating. So this is the girl that got those chocolates. And she's like, can't we just be friends before dating? And he's like, he'd completely forgotten about her. 
and just decides to try to avoid her after this. Sherry asks Princess Alexia about her relationship with Sid and is happy when Alexia reveals the relationship was fake. Though Princess Alexia is privately upset, another girl is interested in Sid. An election is announced to fill an empty student council seat. Uh, with uh, this gaunt knight, uh, he erects, at this point, he erects an anti-magic barrier, allowing the fake Shadow Garden to capture the academy at this point. So they're at the school, and he he puts up this gigantic barrier where nobody can use magic. Okay. Uh, Rose attempts to fight, but and uh, is much weaker without her magic at this point, because these are night uh, like uh, magic knights. Uh, Sid recklessly rushes in to save her and is severely wounded, because he wants to be the first person to. That's <laughs> a background character, <laughs> so he wants to be the first one to jump in front of, to protect this girl, but he wants to die in the process. To, because he thinks it would look cool as a background character to die. Like, everything he's doing, he's wanting to look like a background character. <laughs> Even though he's one of the most powerful characters in the entire series. I do better just not, not by doing anything. He's completely disappeared in the background. <laughs> but he wants to, it to look epic, where he, he gets killed first. Because <laughs> he said that's what a background character that's really useless does. Just dies instantly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, episode SK, uh, episode 8 is called Dark Knight Academy Under Attack. Sid reveals that he was excited by the chance to look cool fighting terrorists and saved Rose merely to appear heroic. Rose, meanwhile, mistakenly believes Sid sacrificed himself out of love for her. After the students are taken to the auditorium, leaving Sid body, uh, Sid's body in the classroom just laying there. Damn, I'm picking a lot of it. No. Uh, Sid secretly revives and heals himself. Uh, Rex attacks Sherry to retrieve the relic, but Iris's Crimson Knights help, their, help her escape. Sid, who is also killing terrorists at this point, just randomly just killing terrorists, reunites with and saves Sherry. Sherry identifies the relic generating the barrier as the Eye of Avarice, which absorbs magic and explodes once full. Sid deduces the cult are using the Eye to kill the students and prevent them from, from becoming knights and obstructing their plans. The relic Sherry has been researching is the Eye's control unit, which she hopes can be used to stop the explosion. Since Sherry needs tools from her room, Sid volunteers to get them for her. Rex warns Gaunt Knight that someone is killing her, their men, and Gaunt Knight suspects that the real Shadow Garden is responsible for this. It is revealed Gaunt Knight's true goal is to be reinstated to the Knights of Round, which is in this uh, cult of Diablos, like their highest order of... Um, like the the most powerful people in their their group. New, which is of Shadow Garden, mm -hmm. uh, she sees the sole surviving Crimson Knight uh, and her former uh, fiance. Uh, God, if I can even talk. Uh, the sole surviving Crimson Knight is her former fiance Marco. While te uh, tempted to kill him, she decides to let him live. Sid orders New and her fellow Shadows not to attack the terrorist until Sherry has the control relic ready. That's how we end episode eight. Mm -hmm. Episode nine is called the end of uh, the end of a lie. So Sherry activates the control relic, deactivating the eye and its barrier. Sid arrives disguised as the Eminence in Shadow, and Shadow Garden begins slaughtering the terrorist at this point. Which shit, <laughs> like he does not care. Iris, believing that Shadow Garden is, is responsible for the attack, is enraged by their appearance. Sid finds Gaunt Knight burning Sherry's research and reveals he is Ruslan, Sherry's adoptive father. 
So the guy that was going through and killing these students that's dressed as his knight is uh, the guy that had adopted Cherry to begin with. Hmm. The one saying that, uh, Sid, uh, you need to give Sid an answer since he gave her chocolates. Same guy. Which would crush this girl, Sherry, if she actually knew. Uh, Rislin explains, uh, he was once a master swordsman until an illness weakened him. Believing the eye might cure him, he uh, cultivated a relationship with a woman studying it, Sherry's mother. When she grew too afraid to continue her research, Rislin killed her and adopted Sherry as a pawn to facilitate the research completion. Because they were both good at researching stuff. And so Sherry and her mom, basically. Uh, Ruslan combines the eye with the control relic and regains his lost sword skills. While, hidden, uh, while he and Sid fight, revealing that even with his abilities restored, Ruslan's swordsmanship is still inferior to Sid. Damn. <laughs> He's like, damn. <laughs> Ruslan brags uh, he has framed Shadow Garden for all his crimes. Sid, unconcerned by this, kills Ruslan. An act, of, uh, an act inadvertently witnessed by Sherry. So whenever Sherry sees uh, Rislin killed, he's not dressed as his knight. So she thinks that Sid just basically killed her dad. Or her adoptive yeah. dad. And uh, of course, Sid is not in his normal stuff. He looks like the eminence in Shadow. Uh, in the wake of the attack, the kingdom uh, designates Shadow Garden as a terrorist organization... Sherry informs Sid that, with Ruslan dead, she has decided to transfer to a scientific research academy to pursue her new goal, though she will miss him. When Sid asks what her new goal is, she insists on keeping it a secret, but the dark aura surrounding her words suggests her new goal is sinister. Basically, she wants to kill Shadow. Yeah. <laughs> she wants to destroy him. Revenge. <laughs> uh, episode 10 is called The Sacred Land, City of Deception. So Sid is uh, is contacted by Alpha, who requests he visits the sacred city of Lindworm, or sorry, Lindworm. Beta, Epsilon, and Nu also receive a mission from Alpha. While in Lindworm themselves to attend the upcoming goddess's trial, Alexia and Iris visit Sid's department store, where Alexia, planning to try to seduce Sid, purchases thong underwear. <laughs> Sure, man, make sure to let him know what thong underwear was, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a flashback shows that after defeating Ruslan, Sid pretended to have a mirac ha pretended to have miraculously survived the injury by uh, receiving the injury he, re he received while rescuing Rose. So uh, he acts like I didn't actually die. I made it on. <laughs> Half his face is gone. I'm still alive. Rose, who has sworn to accept uh, to accept what she perceives as feelings towards her by becoming his lover, hopes that her father might allow them to marry if Sid wins the trials. Sid mistakenly believes that she is trying to convert him to worship the goddess Beatrix, whom empowered three legendary warriors and the worship of whom is the dominant religion in Lindworm. Uh, though he is reluctant to have her along with him on the trip, he opts to avoid her attempts to, to seduce him rather than actively push her away. In, Lind in Lindworm, Sid sees Beta and her persona as the popular author Natsumi. So basically, all the uh, the seven shadows, which are Alpha, Beta, Delta, the the ones that actually have a name, they call them the uh, the seven shadows because they're, they're the first people that um, were given their abilities by Sid, because they were all like masses of flesh that magic had taken over hmm. so basically they they uh, like uh, where he rescued alpha by accident yeah 
it turns out that uh, in this world, if you can't control the magic that you have, you start to become like almost like a tumor. Eesh. And just a big mass of flesh. <laughs> but those were the, uh, the original seven shadows are the ones that he personally fixed. Good for him. So he did something good. He didn't even know he was doing it. He just, eh, whatever. <laughs> close enough. <laughs> and each one of them basically learned something different from him. So like Alpha, it's uh, she's like pure power. Then you have, uh, you have uh, what do you call it? Uh, Beta on this one. She basically took all the uh, stuff that he taught her about like Cinderella, Romeo and Juliet and stuff like that and uses that to become a famous author. <laughs> Or she just rewrites it. Just rewriting the stories that she's told her? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so she, she became famous by publishing stories he had told her from his past life's world, such as Cinderella, Romeo and Juliet, and Star Wars. Jesus, Star Wars in this world now? <laughs> yes. Beta passes Sid uh, her mission briefing, coded in an ancient language. Rose misinterprets Sid's enthusiasm as a passion for history and languages, though Sid is really just impressed at what he thinks is Beta's latest uh, role-playing event for him. Because, <laughs> again, he still thinks they're just role-playing. Yeah. Uh, a cultist murders Archbishop uh, Drake of Beatrix's church, and while Epsilon kills one of his men, the murderer escapes. Episode 11 is called The Goddess's Trial. Sid visits a hot spring and happens to meet Alexia in one of the baths. Hot springs. Hiding her embarrassment, Alexia explains the nature of the goddess's trial. Challengers will summon and duel the spirits of famous warriors, with the strength of the challenger directly related to the strength of the summoned spirit. Since she is busy dealing with the archbishop's murderer, Alexia asks Sid to assist her by joining the Crimson Knights. Sid refuses and nonchalantly leaves. Fully exposing himself to the intrigued Alexia as he goes. Hey, man. <laughs> and he slaps the towel between his legs where it comes back up around his head. Nonchalant, <laughs> man. Let that, let that dick fucking swing. <laughs> he does. I ain't embarrassed, girl. <laughs> and the funny thing is, and she's like, because he says, why would you look at my sword or something like that whenever he walks out there? Huh? And she's like, that's, just, that's a dagger. That ain't no sword. Ouch. <laughs> and he's like... Whenever this monster is unleashed from its scabbard, he gives a whole fucking speech about it and then slaps the towel between his legs. It's like, good God. Uh, soon after, Alexia's investigation is canceled by the interim Archbishop Nelson, whom Alexia holds to be the prime suspect in Drake's murder. Princess Alexia encounters Beta in her Natsumi persona, and uh, both take an instant dislike to each other. After the trial, many fighters are humiliated with no famous warriors manifesting to duel them, implying they are unworthy opponents. Sid is suddenly announced as the next challenger, he, uh, his entry fee having been securely paid to, uh, by Rose to show, her father's, uh, to show her father Sid's potential. So Rose paid for him to <laughs> go to this fucking ass baby. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh. Um, to avoid exposing his strength, or embarrassing himself by fake, uh, faking a humiliating defeat, Sid crashes the trial as eminence and shadow. Huh. As shadow. Uh, his presence summoning Aurora, the Calamity Witch, whom, according to Nelson, was the strongest witch in history. Calamity Witch? Yeah. So basically, like I said before, this uh, whole tournament, um, the person that is summoned to fight you is proportional to the abilities that you have. 
So Shadow is so strong that it summons the strongest witch of, in history. Witnessing Aurora's manifestation, Princess Alexia realizes that it is possible the Eminence is the most dangerous man in the world. Sid defeats Aurora, but finding himself disappointed that the duel was too easy, he leaves. Because even the, the strongest witch in history can't beat Shadow. The arena barrier suddenly collapses, and a new summoning spell activates in response to Sid's actions, causing a summoning portal to begin following him, impressing, and obser uh, uh, impressing the observing Shadow Garden. So he's like jumping from pillar to pillar, but the summoning circle's like following him <laughs> wherever he goes. What's it going to summon? It's a portal for him to walk through. Oh. Uh, episode 12, The Truth Within the Memories. Alpha reveals herself uh, reveals she is an elf and a descendant of Olivier, the hero who severed Diablos's left arm 1,000 years ago. Sid decides to enter the summoning circle following him and disappears within it, finding himself within the sanctuary. Alpha appears with the rest of Shadow Garden after they kidnap Nelson. They enter the sanctuary as well, as do Princess Alexia and Rose. Sid meets an, uh, an imprisoned Aurora, who has been trapped for a thousand years. So that same witch, she's actually trapped there. Uh, after uh, Sid frees her, she reveals that the sanctuary is actually a massive prison which stores the memory of every past hero. If they destroy Sanctuary's magical core, Aurora and the other memories will be deleted. As they pass through memories, Sid and the, uh, the Shadows learn the cult formerly used the Sanctuary to experiment on orphan girls with Diablos' blood in an effort to resurrect him. Most of the subjects died, but some, like Olivier, became extremely strong heroes. So they're infusing this demon's blood with, uh, like, elves and people. It is revealed experiments on Diablos' arms produce the pills that turn people demonic. So, like, those pills that that one knight took are made from this blood. Buffed them all up. Yeah. And also that one year, uh, once a year, uh, it produces 12 beads that grant one year of immortality to the cult's 12 leaders, the knights of the round. One of whom is Nelson. One year of immortality? How is that immortality, then? Because you got to take another pillow next year. <laughs> but no, it's not immortality. What the fuck? That's weird. <laughs> uh, one of whom is Nelson, who helped create first beats one millennium ago. <laughs> so he's been taking them for a thousand years. So he just made he made the most lucrative pharmaceutical uh, medicine and ever known to man. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. You want to keep living, you got to keep taking my pill. <laughs> uh, Nelson turns demonic. And, uh, with his control over the sanctuary, scatters everyone throughout multiple memories and creates copies of himself to fight all of the shadows at once. Episode 13. A bloody showdown as an offering to annihilation. So Epsilon reveals she and the name Shadows personally brought into Shadow Garden by Sid were all girls experimented on by the cult. And that's why they're masses of flesh. Sid cured them of their demonic curse side effects, leaving their strength intact. Okay. Uh, so basically whenever he found them the way they were as masses of piles of flesh, whenever he fixed their magical courses, like going through their veins and stuff, mm -hmm. they kept their strength from their experiments, but lost the grotesque oh. mass and they became normal again. Uh, they enter Sanctuary's archive and steal the records of the cult's experiments. Delta reveals she possessed berserker level strength, allowing her to kill hundreds of Nelson's copies without any magic at all. <laughs> Because she's part beast, so, like a beast uh, person, where she's got the, the ears and tail. Uh, one of those, huh? Yeah. Yeah. There's one in every anime. <laughs> Seems like it. <laughs> Meanwhile, Sid and Aurora reach Sanctuary's core. 
The quarry is sealed behind chains uh, that can only be cut by a nearby magical sword. And though Sid tries, the sword can only be drawn by a hero's descendant. Nelson summons Olivier to fight for him. But Epsilon appears with all the cult's research. And all of the shadows abruptly teleport out of the sanctuary with Alexa and Rose, leaving the confused Nelson behind. As Sid is still within the sanctuary, Nelson orders Olivier to kill him. They duel, but Sid is disappointed by Olivier's mindlessness. Empty. I was probably just make Yu-Gi-Oh cards in the game. Now there's Yu-Gi-Oh cards. It's a different game. Uh, Sid is disappointed by Olivier's mindless, empty obedience, mute and without personality, and as such finds the fight boring. That was extra bang on that one. Uh, Aurora decides to protect him as payment for producing her first new memories in a millennium. Sid is annoyed at her assumption that he will lose, claiming he has been paying close attention and has discovered the secret of the sanctuary. Olivier stabs Sid through the heart, but he smiles and reveals he has his eye. Uh, it reveals one of his eyes have changed color. Because hmm. he's been storing up magic the entire time. So episode 14 is called uh, Your Lie, Your Wish. So Sid grabs Olivier and bites her quarter arteries to kill her. Yes. <laughs> like full vampire. So yeah, the weirdest fuck way to kill somebody. Revealing to a stunned Nelson, he allowed Olivier to stab him in a way that had missed, uh, that where she missed his organs. He also reveals the secret he figured out. The sanctuary absorbs magic from the air, so by compressing the whole of his magic into a single solid mass within his eye, he can use his magic again. Sid sets off his atomic bomb spell, destroying Nelson and the sanctuary core at the, all at once. Because he says, I am atomic. He <laughs> destroys every fucking thing he can. Sid bids farewell to Aurora, who kisses him and offers him that uh, one day they might actually find the real Aurora. Princess Alexia and Rose decide that uh, they must form their own secret organization to stand against both the cult and Shadow Garden. As Nats uh, Natsume, Beta agrees to help so she can spy on them because they, they don't realize that she's one of the shadows, even though at this point they think that she's just an author uh, with big tits. Ah, uh, big tits. <laughs> Dude, love me some big old teddy. <laughs> big old bitties. Uh, Alpha discovers the Sanctuary's archives that Aurora's true identity is that of the demon Diablos. Elsewhere, Shadow Garden begins buying all the property in the city of uh, Adlid to open another shopping center. <laughs> yes. Though secretly, it is to gain access to the valuable oil field with un uh, underneath it. Like, they've got plans upon plans that Sid has no knowledge of. I'm making him a rich man. Yes. Alexia confirms that Beatrix Church is involved with the cult. But politics prevents her from inv investigating further. So, Iris decides to risk further up the ranks of the Crimson Knights to gain her own political power. Uh, starting with winning the upcoming Bushin Festival tournament. Rose discovers she may be infected with demon blood, though, at this point. Episode 15. The Strongest, Weakest Man was the <laughs> title of it. So, the Bushin Festival arrives, attracting hundreds of fighters to the royal capital. Sid plans to shock the crowd by disguising himself as a weak and as weak and defeating uh, everyone else he fights with astonishing ease. So, so like, it, it, the, uh... it's a new character for him. Oh, like, he, he doesn't look like Sid. He looks like a different person. Oh, great. <laughs> so, using magical slime makeup because that's what his he controls this like uh, slime. That's how he can like changes clothes so fast between sh uh, Shadow and himself. 
Mm-hmm. It literally, it's just a, um, like affecting the slime stuff. That like it, it can make whatever kind of clothes he wants. It reminds me of uh, the uh, the MCU movies where they needed to find a way to make them be able to take their masks off quicker and like their suits yep. on. So they started using those fucking nanobots for yep. everything. Yep. Yeah. Where everybody has nanobots. Yeah. Yep. So uh, Gamma gives Sid the pathetic face of mundane man. Who's going to be mundane man? Yes. <laughs> An unskilled knight who died in poverty. Shit. He was a real person that died. Uh huh. And he's taking his persona. Well, mundane man. Mundane man. <laughs> uh, Anna Rose, a foreign knight who fought at the goddess's trial, witnesses the disguised the disguised Sid allowing himself to be beaten by a fighter named Quentin in an encounter on the street before the festival festival begins, and is amazed that Sid is uninjured. Sid learns the favorites to win the festival are Iris, Rose, Anna Rose, Quentin, and a mysterious, nameless Dark Knight. Rose encounters Sid and informs him that her father has selected a man named Perv Asshat to become the fiance and force her to give up the sword. Perv Asshat? Perv Asshat. Weird name. <laughs> that's his name in the, in the entire thing. That's his real name in the... <laughs> Perv Asshat. So like an NPC, like a real player named him. Yes. Uh, Sid advises that uh, that she relax and do what makes her happy for once. During the preliminary fights, Goldie Ga- uh, Goldie Gilded, a skilled but annoyingly arrogant knight, advises Skell on how to identify warriors most likely to win and is disappointed when Sid, as mundane, wins a fight against his prediction without moving. <laughs> Only the watchful Anna Rose notices that Mundane moves so fast that he defeated his opponent before the fight even began. Goldie announces that Mundane's victory has made uh, him Goldie's next opponent. The next morning, it is announced that Rose has stabbed a perv and subsequently disappeared. Where's she stabbing him? <laughs> he just puts her right between his cock and he's like, oh my god. <laughs> perv ass hat. <laughs> Uh, episode 16 is called Unseen Intentions. So Rosen's escape makes her appear guilty, which has dire consequences for interkingdom politics. Alexia decides to find her and protect her, but Beta stalls, uh, stalls her from interfering, uh, already well aware that Rose is hiding in the city's labyrinthian underground ruins. Sid meets an elf named Beatrix, who is searching for her missing niece and happens to uh, greatly resemble Alpha, but refrains from telling her that he saw an elf who looks like her. As mundane, Sid faces Goldie for his first duel, watched by Anna Rose and Quentin, both of whom are now suspicious about mundane's abilities. To their great confusion, mundane dodges Goldie's first attacks by flexing his neck, and then he causes Goldie's own magical attack to explode backwards on him by sneezing, <laughs> knocking Goldie unconscious and causing his defeat. Despite his unusual methods, Anna Rose's doubts even she could copy mundane's movements. While meeting with Perv Asshat, Iris discovers Rose didn't injure him at all and observes that he has a sinister influence over Rose's father, the king. Mundane defeats Quentin, making Anna Rose his opponents the next day. Anna Rose attempts to intimidate him until Mundane reveals he wears armor weighing over a ton and yet still moves too fast for people to follow his movements. Jeez. Uh, Rose continues to evade the uh, soldiers at this point sent after her. All right, we're down to the last few episodes here. Uh, episode 17, uh, Moonlight uh, That Pierces the Darkness. 
is the title of it. I like that title. <laughs> uh, Sid's elder sister Claire visits, but he avoids her by pretending to join Skell and hunting Rose for a sizable reward. Sid has a sister? Yeah. That's who they saved in uh, episode two, I think. So, uh, so he has a family. Yes. He yeah. doesn't think it's all fake. Yes. It, well, he thinks that Alpha and them are just going along with his pretend that there's this uh, cult of Diablos. He knows he's like in another world, but he still thinks that they're they're going along with his pretend. What if he's just a guy in, in a hospital bed playing a video game? <laughs> well, uh, at the episode two, he goes back to the real world as Shadow. He did? Yeah. What happened? Like, he's transported through a different portal. <laughs> he comes back to the real world. I would just stay in my real world at that point. He wanted to make a cool looking exit. Yeah, I'm home. So, uh, episode 17. Uh, Sid's elder sister Claire visits, but he avoids her by pretending to join Skell and is hunting for a sizable reward. Sid actually respects Rose for risking everything to escape an unwanted marriage. Sid overhears the Moonlight Sonata, a personal favorite musical piece of his, for its brooding tone, <laughs> being played on a nearby piano, and quickly finds Epsilon and the, is the one performing it. She explains, she explains that she has been able to cultivate useful connections in Oriana Kingdom by posing as a skilled pianist. Alexia and Veda suspect Rose fled after discovering that Perv is secretly a cultist using magic to brainwash her into the king as invalid, and they enter the underground ruins to find her. Rose, now suffering more uh, seriously from her infected blood, considers surrendering to avoid dragging Oriana into a war. She suddenly hears the sonata and finds Shadow playing the piano. <laughs> it's a it's a cool scene because it's like you just hear the uh, the song in the the anime, and then you see Shadow with his like uh, Assassin's Creed getup, yeah. but he's in there just playing a piano, playing the Moonlight Sonata, hmm. where she sees him. <laughs> uh, which he has stolen from where uh, Epsilon was playing it earlier. So he stole the piano from her. Dude, I stole off a piano with him? <laughs> he stole the piano and moved into this underground that sounds room. petty as fuck. <laughs> In a cavernous underground room. She realizes she cannot surrender, so Eminence cures her blood infection and grants her power before it vanishing. Uh, cult soldiers locate Rose, but she kills them and decides to end her partnership with Alexia and Beta to fight alone refusing to drag them into her problems. Alexia is not pleased by this, and she ends up fighting her. Rose defeats her and apologizes to Beta, but she tells her to go uh, do what she must do and won't stop her. Um, Beta guesses this was Sid's goal all along. Sid, meanwhile, is simply pleased he was able to pull off a dramatic moment of broodingly playing a piano underground to impress Rose. Because <laughs> in his mind, he's just, I want to look cool. Like, that's his whole thing, is he just wants to look... That reminds me of a scene from uh, The Interview with a Vampire, mm -hmm. where fucking Brad Pitt uh, had to kill uh, Tom Cruise. And they get back to the mansion, after they dumped his body in the uh, the, the bayou, and he's fucking playing the piano when he gets there. <laughs> Tom Cruise is still alive. Like, <laughs> like what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Um, he, uh, he returns home and finds that, uh, finds that an angry Claire has been waiting all day for his return. <laughs> you know, if I hold it in my mouth, it's sour as fuck. God damn. They're going to have no context for this. I'm not taking a, a snapple. <laughs> a snapple mango madness. Dab it to a Slim Jim. <laughs> uh, episode 18. Betty on a moment. <laughs> it's Betty White. Betty White. I don't know why I heard it. In my head, it's Betty White. <laughs> Why the fuck, Betty White? 
For ninety nine year old. Ninety nine years old. I put that pussy out of commission. I should buy a stop. <laughs> uh, after sadistically uh, punishing Sid for neglecting her, <laughs> Claire reveals she has uh, replaced the still absent Rose and the festival and assists Sid Watcher from the VIP seating. Sid sits beside Iris, who apologizes for the Xenon incident. They discuss the Dark Knight competitor, Beatrix, the Elvish war goddess, the festival's very first champion, and Sid realizes Beatrix is Alpha's aunt. Hmm. Like he actually realizes this. Uh, this you guys look some. You guys look real similar. Yeah, they do. Uh, Be- I wouldn't say mother daughter, but more like something closer. <laughs> like you can never figure out what it is though. Yeah, it's really hilarious to me. <laughs> Uh, Sid sneaks away to don his mundane disguise uh, to duel Anna Rose. Du, 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 du. Uh, Perv takes his seat beside Iris, who despises <laughs> the Perv. <laughs> She's like, I just fucking hate him. <laughs> yeah, she does. Um, he expresses confidence that Rose, uh, Rose will return and marry him. He also suggests he is interested in hiring strong warriors, particularly Anna Rose. In the arena, Anna Rose attempts uh, to match mundane speed, but is defeated. Damn. Uh, this redoubles Princess Iris's determination to defeat Mundane in the next match. Perv has Mundane investigated, though he has confidence he has no connection to the all-female Shadow Garden squad. Because again, Shadow Garden is literally all women. So I like it too. <laughs> Uh, Anna Rose thanks Mundane for showing her that she still has room to improve and invites him to work for her country's government, but he refuses. Sid looks forward to defeating Iris so he can become a legend by mysteriously disappearing immediately after the victory. Again, he just wants to look cool. Claire meets him in his, at his room, quietly reminding him he forgot to watch her match. So his sister's like, um, where were you? And she's the kind where she'll beat the shit out of him. I'd be like, I'd be, if it was my sister, I'd be like, I don't give a fuck you, fuck you, bitch. <laughs> All right, we're down to the last two episodes here. Uh, episode 19 is called Dancing Puppet. Uh, Sid sits beside... Uh, Sid, Sid, that's like alliteration. That's all, boy. Sid sits beside... Say that 15 times real fast. <laughs> Sid sits beside... I almost messed it up. <laughs> uh, Sid sits beside Princess... Damn, I gotta knock that one out quick. I know. Sid sits beside the three S's, Princess Iris and Beatrix, to watch Claire's next match. Perv continues drugging the king, hoping Rose will try to save him. He also plans to have the king publicly assassinate Iris and Princess Alexia's father, the king of Midgard, cause war. Damn. Claire wins her match and furiously uh, searches for Sid. Because again, he's not up there watching her. Where are you at? Who is again absent from the audience. Iris duels Mundane. So the, the Princess Iris is dueling Mundane Man at this point, but uh, has repeatedly terrifying premonitions of Mundane killing her instantly with a single counterattack. Ouch. Uh, Mundane shortly disarms and defeats her in a single move. Rose infiltrates the VIP area with help from Shadow Garden, and Perv is enraged when she kills her own father. Damn. So she kills the king of the Oriana Kingdom, who shows gratitude at being freed from Perv's control at last. <laughs> just sounds like being freed from the perms. Well, yeah. <laughs> that perv had been controlled for years. <laughs> yes. Uh, Rose moves to kill herself, but Mundane stops her. Leaping from the arena floor in a single bound to burst through the VIP box, kill perv's men, and shed his disguise to reveal he, to reveal that he is the eminence in shadow. 
So he took off the disguise to show that he had the disguise on. Yeah. <laughs> Rose realized that Shadow is also the boy who once uh, she once knew as Stylish Bandit Slayer. Because as a kid in this new world, Sid also went around killing bandits with a paper bag over his head. <laughs> huh. So he was the stylish bandit player back then. Wait, wait, so was he stylish or was the bandit stylish and he slayed him? I think he was trying to say he's the stylish one. You gotta be careful with that grammar, people. <laughs> Revealing that when Sid was training himself as a child, he killed uh, the bandits who coincidentally had just kidnapped her. An encounter which inspired Rose to learn swordsmanship in the first place. Nice. So he didn't realize that he led her down that path. Realizing that she can't die yet, Rose again escapes. Beatrix, having longed to fight Mundane since their meeting, realizes that Shadow is a wanted terrorist and engages him in a duel. Duel. Boys that are fucking blue eyes. Look at dragon. So the last episode of the season is called Advent of the Demon. Uh, Alpha meets Rose and offers her membership in Shadow Garden, which Rose accepts. Amidst Beatrix's and Shadow's duel, uh, Princess Iris joins the former in combat against him. After a fight which comes to a span uh, to span much of the city, Shadow again brandishes his atomic city obliterating attack, terrifying both Iris and Beatrix, but van vanishes at the last second before its detonation. So it, it, as soon as he it, like he fucks him up and he fights him with crowbars. They're using swords, and uh, Iris, the princess, has a sword that is a flaming sword. <laughs> and he's fighting them with fucking crowbars. Like some crowbars, huh? He just found crowbars on this one building inside. <laughs> and just started fucking them up with crowbars. He's like, hell yeah. That's his favorite fighting tool anyway, is crowbars. And it's like, it, it's, a cool, it's a cool fight sequence, though, because it's like they're literally, he's like not even trying. And then they both try to attack him at the same time, and he just stomps on their back and makes them sit on each other. <laughs> And then at the very end of it, he goes to go use his uh, I Am Atomic thing, which they think, oh, fuck, he's just going to blow up the whole city, and then he's just gone. So it didn't work, or he didn't do it? He didn't or... do it. Hmm. But he was one to show them that he is so far above them that all he's got to do is do the one attack, and they're gone. To where it's like, they're, they're looking at it like it's the end of the world, <laughs> and then he's just gone. Well, you got Princess Iris just, like, yelling out, like, a banshee cry because it pisses her off so much that he, that he didn't even find them a challenge enough to even fight him the rest of the way. He just leaves. Uh, leaving Princess Iris enraged, frustrated, and more determined than ever to get her, her, her vengeance. Magnets. Perv is forced to beg his master's forgiveness for his failure. Beatrix leaves the capital sad that she failed to find her niece. Hold up in her room, now filled with wanted posters of the eminence, a mentally unraveling Sherry. Here, <laughs> here's the news of his attack and renews her, renews her promise to herself to one day kill him. With the eminence revealing to the world, Shadow Garden begins uh, preparations to support Sid further, hoping he will soon take a more active role in running their organization. Alpha guides Rose into the monster-infested mountains near Sid and Claire's childhood village, revealing the mountains contain the old kingdom of Alexandria, now Shadow Garden's new secret base of operations. Alexandria? Mm -hmm. And they have a gigantic statue of Shadow <laughs> in the center of it. There, a distraught Rose has everything taken from her, her name, her clothes, and her last memento she has of Sid as she knew him. Now clothed in the, char uh, the characteristic slime suit, which can basically form into whatever kind of style of clothes that they want, even though it's still solid black. Mm -hmm. uh, Shadow Garden's operatives 
Uh, she now becomes Soldier 666. <laughs> and she's the 666th member of Shadow Garden. So he's got all these women there to do whatever he wants them to do. Quit the harem he's got there. And he doesn't even know it. <laughs> it's just there. Uh, in their army and begins training to prove her abilities and skill to them under their supervision. Meanwhile, Sid lingers briefly in the underground of the capital playing the Moonlight Sonata on the stolen piano. So got that piano down there, huh? <laughs> he does. He's now there playing it. Pleased by the quality of his role playing with Princess Iris and Lady Beatrix, he expresses his, his anticipation for the games to come. That's how the season one ends. Hmm. It's just him playing the Moonlight Sonata on a stolen piano. Because <laughs> he just dread, he jacked it. <laughs> Like I, like I'm like in like I'm looking at real, real world logistics here. Like this one trying to steal a piano would be fucking it'll get random as fuck. Well, when you have magic, yeah. But like look at it like funnier. Like if you like you see him just dragging it down her foot. Yeah, like god dang it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, Eminence and Shadow season one. Like I said, it's uh, Eminence and Shadow or Eminence Shadow. Eminence in Shadow. Oh, in Shadow. I'll keep saying like thinking in my head and Shadow. No, Eminence in Shadow. Eminence in Shadow. Hmm? One of the uh, probably in my opinion, one of the uh the best uh Isekai anime aside from Overlord. And what's cool is that they're both by the same uh production company, Katakawa. They they make both of them. What what are the anime called? Like what are the uh, the the genre called? Uh Isekai. They should make one in Dark Souls level. Uh, I'm sure, well, because like, in Dark Souls, you're not the strongest. You come in there and you just get fucking wailed on. They do exist. They do be funnier to me. They, they, do, they do exist. Like, you, if it's a powerful person in our world, he dies. He's a weak peasant in this new world. He's like, well, god dang. <laughs> and he never gets any better. He's always fucking broke. His fucking armor's to trash. Oh, they, well, they did that. Well, I mean, it, with a little bit of a plot hole device, but yeah, that kind of does exist. Tell you, man, this stuff is beautiful to me. <laughs> Where he tries so hard over, like, there's a, um, oh, fuck, I'll have to remember the name of it, but uh, where he die, he can die over and over and over, but uh, it gets worse and worse, like, in his mental. Good <laughs> shit. The entire time. Yeah. Kind of dark, too. Hope I didn't, uh, hope, uh, yeah, because if you, if you, if your mental state, uh, hinges on how often you died in a game. If it was like the Dark Souls, you would have a horrible time. Yes. Same. You'd be fucking insane by the end of it. <laughs> All right, ready for some Reddit? I'm always ready for some Reddit. I love this shit. All right, today we are covering today. I fucked up. We, we move away from the retail hill and, and go back to our original bread and butter <laughs> of today. I fucked up. So uh, first one is by Junior Ranger 6861. This person puts... I had been feeling a bit under the weather and decided to buy myself a coffee. I was about to walk into an establishment whenever I saw a homeless woman sitting outside with her dog. I felt bad for them because I can't imagine how hard it must be to be homeless, especially being this time of the year, so I decided to go up to her, told her Merry Christmas, and handed her $10. Her eyes lit up and she started sobbing and thanking me. When I was trying to pay for my coffee, I noticed that in my haze I had given the woman $100 instead of 10 Well, you gotta let that one go. I thought I had given her still... It's still in my wallet. I, I was panicking and contemplating going to look for her and explaining my error. You gotta let that guy. <laughs> but I just couldn't bring myself to do that. I didn't want to be an asshole, especially after her emotional reaction. So I just made my way home. Merry Christmas. I wouldn't call that much of a fuck up. It's like an honest mistake. But it's like, 
buy it. It's $100, though. Like, man. <laughs> Although, in, with inflation, $100 ain't worth shit no more. <laughs> uh, next one is by Slight Contact 568. Person puts, obligatory. Last night, I got drunk at a Christmas for, uh, Christmas friend's uh, get-together and said some shit I shouldn't have. <laughs> Well, if it's the basis for every uh, falling friend, uh, the friendship fallout ever in the history of mankind, yeah. said some shit you shouldn't have said. <laughs> it's way up there. My wife's friends are mostly pretty mellow and not big partiers, but we get together for dinner every couple of months. They're awesome people, and I've known them uh, for going on 12 years now. They're her good friends since she's been in high school. So, one friend is a little more outgoing, into festivals and the like. We were drinking and reminiscing about college days, and she mentioned how she hooked up with a guy behind a bar we all went uh, to together years ago. We all laugh, and she and I are talking about the night and how she had never done that before. A night, a uh, a one-night, uh, one-time stand. Uh, she also mentioned that he ate her ass before the, the deed. <laughs> Wait, are you getting way too specific? Yeah. It was her first experience doing that. And I said something along the lines of, I don't blame him. I'd do the same. Damn, you stupid son of a bitch, bro. I kept your fucking mouth shut. Everyone got quiet. <laughs> My wife looked pissed and confused. Yeah. I didn't. It, it didn't even register to me with me what I had said. My wife yelled at me all the way home about how I must be, uh, must think of all her friends in a sexual way. No, and, baby, just you. Intrusive thought should stay inside. There you go. <laughs> intrusive thought should stay inside. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, next one is by uh, one Cedric two. Okay. Person puts so customary. Uh, this actually. Like, I don't know why you put it so customary. This actually did happen five minutes ago, and I'm dying inside. I didn't understand the obligatory ones either. I read what they put. That's all well, I'm obliged to tell you this. Like, why? Right. Uh, here it goes. Last week, the assistant and the zone manager, who is three levels above me in the hierarchy, messaged me because apparently she had noticed that I was using an interesting note-taking device. In fact, I've been using the Remarkable 2 tablet for years for note-taking, but also life organizing and drawing, etc. That's where the fuck-up starts. Uh-oh. I replied to the assistant before telling her about the device and offered to let the zone manager try it if she wishes before buying. Today was uh, the time I was showing her how the device works. I had quickly cleaned up my uh, note files, made sure the right page to show example of how to use it, stuff like that. Destroy my Safari search history. Everything was going well, all until she asked if you could draw on the tablet. Thinking I had correctly cleaned up, I showed my drawing. <laughs> I opened my drawing notebook and there, a drawing of a sofa with a comic style bubble saying, sit on my face appears. God dang. I quickly switched to the next page, and she was nice enough to ignore it, but I'm dying inside right now. I think the drawing was pretty funny, but the particular type of humor needed to appreciate it doesn't really fall into the SFW side of things. Yeah. <laughs> Safe for work. Yeah. It is not. <laughs> uh, next one is by T. Faust 10. This person puts, this happened a while ago, but I still cringe whenever I think about it. I hopped on a short flight from Dallas to San Antonio to visit my brother. 
I ended up on an aisle seat towards the very back of the bed of a packed plane. As I sat, the guy seated next to me was busy and I decided not to bug him, so with a quick hello or the classic business of pleasure question that people tend to ask. About 15 minutes into the flight, I began to eat one of those very dry Biscoff crackers. Without water on hand, I realized I overcommitted my slivery gland to some real work. <laughs> Nothing worse than a, a fucking cotton mouth. It's worse than dry mouth. Yes, it is. <laughs> of course, at this exact moment, my seatmate begins his, operate, uh, his opening introduction. I nod to him and smile. But I was not about to open my mouth to pepper him with Biscoff cracker dust. <laughs> Unaware of my dilemma, he asked me a question. I motioned to my throat with my hand to suggest I was finishing a bite. His eyes go large, and he quickly apologizes, turning red in the face with embarrassment. I was surprised by the reaction. He, he, he thought you were freaking mute. And thought his response was a little over the top. A few seconds later, I realized that he thought I was motioning that I could not speak. No problem. I would clarify everything as soon as I could swallow my cracker. Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, that cracker must have been made from some properties that send all moisture to another dimension. God damn. Must have been a cracker from Church's Chicken. <laughs> Popeye's Biscuit. Yeah. Came <laughs> from the same batch as fucking Popeye's Biscuit. <laughs> uh, as I waited, the stewardess came over to save the day with a drink cart. She asked me what I wanted to drink. I just pointed What? <laughs> Please. <laughs> so I pointed to a Sprite can. As I did this, my seatmate clarified my choice by verbally telling the stewardess my selection. He's one Sprite because he can't speak. <laughs> I could tell that he felt a sense of accomplishment that he was able to help me communicate given my perceived disability. Damn, I'm a fucking hero. <laughs> maybe, I made, maybe it made him feel a little bit better after having asked me a question and that I was unable to answer. As the flight continued, I realized that I had accidentally committed myself to become a mute. Well, there you go. You gotta, you gotta fucking follow the bit. I was at the point of no return, so I figured I'd just go with it. I didn't want to make him feel stupid. He began to, uh, he began to tell me a couple of things about his family. He mentioned a relative with a similar impairment uh, following a stroke. He also showed me a picture of his dog on the phone. I knew I could not respond, so he never asked me any questions. I just nodded and smiled at anything he said to be polite, but utter, uh, not uttering a sound. Eventually, our plane lands. By the time I forgot, uh, by this time I forgot about my act. I patiently, <laughs> I sat patiently as people began to depart. Uh, being at the very back of the plane, I knew I had to wait, so I remained seated. My phone vibrated. Do you know what I would do? Like right, we're just disembarking, right? And like uh, he's get like I just get up real quick to get out first. Like it's nice meeting you, and just work it with him. <laughs> He'd be like, arr, arr. never even give him a chance to respond. Just dip out. Uh, let's see. I knew I had to. I uh, would be. Uh, I would have to wait, so I remain seated. My phone vibrates. I see that it is my brother calling. I accept the call and enthusiastically say, "What's up? I just landed. Give me about ten minutes, and I'll meet you out front." So he basically did what I just said. My memory sends me a notice a little too late to remind me that I'm supposed to be playing the role of a mute person on the plane. I slowly look over to the seat to my seatmate to see if he really has even noticed. His head was directly aimed at me. <laughs> just, yeah, his head just raped his fucking face. He had the most disgusted look on his face, like I had punched a baby bunny. Like, you motherfucker. I began to turn red. I was so embarrassed that I couldn't think of anything to say to make the moment less awkward. A part of my brain that does not get, uh, get outside much convinced me to get out of the plane quickly. 
I turned that thought into action. I quickly got out of my chair and grabbed my backpack. I looked back at the guy and I confirmed that he was more committed to maintaining his disgusting fashion <laughs> than I was to being mute. Damn, he's so he just mad as fuck. I quickly looked at the person in front of me standing in the aisle. I could go nowhere. I remained standing for about an, another eternity until the line started to ease up. I finally made my escape, but this point, this moment still haunts me. Like, I got here, you bad. That motherfucker's not real. Oh, <laughs> uh, next one is by No Werewolves Allowed. This person, so that's what I put out in the front of my uh, house. <laughs> so you're saying no dogs? Like, don't you inform? Don't you come in here, you damn werewolves. <laughs> I just thought you meant dogs. <laughs> no dogs in human form. Uh, this person puts, October 2023, in my dorm room, I woke up in the middle of the night to the sound of my roommate fooling around with another guy. My roommate was someone who would be, who would describe himself as an introverted, socially awkward, unattractive, alone, etc. Like, damn. So it's just two dudes banging? This was Apparently. Since the beginning of our roommate relationship, uh, I had never seen him show interest in dating anyone. On the rare occasion when he was willing to go out with me, he would just uh, he would usually avoid interaction with the opposite sex. I always assumed he was just shy, which he was, but it never occurred to me that he might be attracted to guys. Oh, homosexual. <laughs> uh, back to my dorm. I was pretending, uh, pretending to be asleep because I didn't really know how to respond in that situation or how my roommate would feel if he got caught in the act. I imagine how awkward it would be, like having to like, cause the dorm room is usually like just ruined, like like what, both right next to each other, right side by side, yeah. and like your 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 roommate's just like, uh, you gonna take that dick? And the other guy's like, I'm gonna take that dick. And you're like, what the fuck? He's trying to get some sleep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this was uncharted territory. As silly as it sounds, I just like his asshole. I didn't want to assume my roommate was openly gay or bi just because he was low-key hooking up with a random guy next to me. Low-key. So I reacted by not reacting at all. <laughs> I'll admit, it was an awkward situation, not just because I could hear whispering and kissing and moaning and all kinds of other noises that made it clear to me that both guys were real into each other. <laughs> <laughs> I just go on fucking bareback and he just swung three feet away. I, I would fuck. I would not. If, here's here's the etiquette, everybody. If you're in college, put something. You guys need to have a a, a like a a symbol or a, a routine yeah. that if there's a rubber band or a sock or something, rubber band probably be better. Like something nondescript. Right. And like you're like, there's a rubber band around the doorknob on the outside. That means he's fucking somebody. I better go sleep on the I guess on the water fountain in the park because I got nowhere else to go. <laughs> Don't just fuck somebody with your roommate sleeping like a, like no kidding like a foot away from you. Yeah, I mean like uh, <laughs> sorry, I like making noise, but uh, I don't know. Like it's just it's awkward, you know. Yeah, but also be like jacking off in your friend's house after he sleeps, right? Like, well, I gotta jack up somehow. Yeah, you don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Uh, I always do that. <laughs> Uh, all right, he continues, uh, but also because I was laying on my side for too long and my arm was beginning to go numb, I was forced to switch sides and face the action. <laughs> Come on, now, you, you can lie on your- But my eyes were still closed. You can lie on your stomach and still face against the wall, don't you lie to me? He, he wanted his butt exposed. You, what do you mean? You can just, or you can lie on your, 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 your back and look up at the sky. He didn't want nobody to get on top of He's just, he just making shit up. I know he is. 
at this moment, yeah, I had to look, so I had to turn that way to slave bullshit. There's like six thousand ways to slave. Uh, he put. At this moment, I heard one of them whisper, "Bro, I thought your roommate was like I don't know Asian." The <laughs> fuck does that matter? I suddenly opened up my eyes. The fuck you got say? I suddenly opened up my eyes and noticed two random naked guys in my roommate's bed. Both of them were too high and horny to realize that they were in the wrong dorm until it was too late. So where the fuck is he? There, his roommate. If the wait. If the two of them didn't whisper the whole fucking time, I probably would have uh, picked up that none of them sounded like my roommate. The gay guy's apologizing for canvassing my roommate's bed in fuck fluids and took off. I imagine them standing up ass naked. Sorry, bro. <laughs> Sorry, bro. I changed the sheets and cleaned up the mess before my actual roommate returned to his bed in the early hours of the morning after apparently working most of the night. I want to clean shit. Just lay it. I would have been like, hey, man, these two guys fucked on your bed. Believe me. Uh, I was not his favorite person whenever I explained to him what happened. No kidding. I never forgot to lock my door. He probably didn't believe him either. Probably not. Why'd you fuck on my bed, bro? (laughs) I never forgot to lock my dorm room since that night, and my roommate is still reminding me that I owe him brand new bed sheets. Why do I owe him? I don't owe him shit. Because apparently he didn't lock the door. So? (laughs) Uh, They didn't fuck on my bed. Alrighty. I thought your roommate was Asian. That makes more sense then. Usernames are so stupid sometimes. Uh, next one is by Potatoes in My Butt. <laughs> now I imagine a whole potato. Someone, uh, someone's asshole. Uh, a buddy was having a uh, small New Year's party at his house. We have been chilling for a few hours, drinking, smoking, listening to music. Then all of a sudden, my buddy's mom comes in the room to chill us, uh, chill with us. My friend. Buzzkill. Uh, my friend, his wife, and his bro left to go make some barbecue. So now it's just me and his mom Uh-oh. in the room. Uh-oh. <laughs> Red flags everywhere. Her and I were talking and listening to music. Uh, his mom is probably in her late 60s, early 70s. Not really good. Just my type. Not really good looking. It's really my type now. Smokes like a chimney and is married. Three, Four from four for me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the hell came over me last night. Something about her started fucking. <laughs> Something about her caught my attention. <laughs> we just started. <laughs> uh, uh, so I sat next to her and put my arm around her. Hey, baby, how you doing? I'm doing okay. How you doing? <laughs> she did not like that. Hey. Uh, <laughs> Rejected. At all, I quickly removed my arm from her. My buddy found out, and so did everyone else. <laughs> they uh, wanted me to leave the party. <laughs> What's that? Don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> you know how we go in my head, right? Like for whatever reason, he took his shoes off, right? <laughs> so now, in dead silence, with everybody staring at him, he's slowly putting his fucking shoes on <laughs> in the awkward silence. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's just mean mugging him, but he's putting one shoelace on it. After you get rejected, rejected by his like, <laughs> oh, This is a very stupid thing to do. <laughs> and I'm not, and I am completely embarrassed by this. Also, now things probably won't be the same between my buddy and I. Nah, you don't you think, huh? Nah, you know. All right. <laughs> 
Uh, last one. Uh, it is by Zard4. <laughs> this person puts, I, a straight male, just saw Poor Things, incredible movie, highly, highly recommend, by myself, and in the middle of it, I had to go to the bathroom. Poor Things. Poor Things. I don't know. Poor Things. I know Saltburn was a movie that has traumatized the entire uh, movie-going community last year. Yes. So, Poor Things sounds something similar. I cannot place my finger on what it is, though. <laughs> I feel like I should know what it is. And if it hits me, I'll be like, oh, yeah. You know you know that moment where Light, uh, light uh, get, finds the death note again and he, he, re he returns all his memories? Yeah. That's what I'm feeling right now. <laughs> the minute I figure out what poor things is, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's so I. Yeah, just say it. <laughs> uh, I was alone at the urinal whenever I realized that I, I had to take a shit. And at that moment, another guy walked in and started pissing, too. Older guy, kind of fat, glasses, balding. That motherfucker. <laughs> They're strapping down to a T, huh? He's <laughs> so short. <laughs> uh... <laughs> I reconsidered taking a shit because of the awkwardness with my new companion. Might have considered Husky Light. <laughs> but but knew I'd regret it uh, once I returned to my seat. So I stopped pissing and went to the handicapped stall behind me to do the business. Uh-oh. I immediately realized it was a good call because this was going to be explosive. Damn, bro. <laughs> we all know the feeling. And out of respect for him and his nostrils, I decided to wait until he le uh, left to unleash. I could kind of see him through the crack of the stall. <laughs> he was right in front of me, but he wasn't leaving. Do you want to hear a funny bit from Sebastian uh, Mark? I forget his name, and I don't want to like like steal his jokes. So uh, his name is Sebastian. He's Italian. I forget his last name, but oh, uh, the guy that uh, where he wears those shoes constantly and everything, those like dress shoes. Uh, he's got the like gray stripe or whatever kind of business here. Yeah, and he's always like, "Aren't you embarrassed?" Yeah, yeah. He was he was saying like he was hooking up with his uh, he was like not he went to his girlfriend his new he was dating this woman, <laughs> went to her like they went out to dinner they had ice cream but he's lactose intolerant, but he bit the bullet, and he ate it. Then he went home. We went went to her place to watch a movie. Then he asked if she could use her bathroom because the, the the ice cream hit him yeah hard. <laughs> so he goes to the bathroom. He runs the shower. He runs the, the, the bathtub. He runs every everything he can. And then he says, like, and he says, like, something. And the, the, the joke, the lead up joke is that he, like, he was farting in her towels to mask the sound of his farts. He was doing everything he can so he, she wouldn't hear him. <laughs> and I, re I, I rewound, because it's on YouTube, that's that special is. Yeah. I rewound that same scene like six times. And every single, I was farting in your bath towels. <laughs> To mess the sound, I was like, "Man, that was funny." <laughs> uh, all right, where was I? Oh, uh, I could see him through the crack of the stole as he was right in front of me, but he wasn't leaving. He actually turned ninety degrees uh, in a uh, perpendicular to the urinal and me. What the fuck? And for what felt like eternity, he appeared uh, to be adjusting his pants or something. The thought was <laughs> he checked. I don't know why I thought that. The thought creeps in, like, is he doing what I think he's doing? There's no way. He can't. That doesn't happen in real life. Uh-oh. Uh, he's just adjusting his belt, right? Then I saw what I feared most would occur, and he whipped out his fucking dick and started stroking his limp thing. 
I know people way too well. Yes, you do. I tell you I'm a detective. I was in shock. <laughs> I'm not. I know people too well. Luckily, I had a counterattack of my own. <laughs> you started fucking bobbing, huh? <laughs> what got me? Just our let loose, huh? Like the brown bomber. <laughs> Like, I'll teach you, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so he just started letting them loose, huh? That's a good strategy. <laughs> you gotta compose yourself. I mean, it would only take one. It's like, I'll teach you a lesson, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I immediately unleash my, unleash my explosive shit and thank God I sent him fumbling and screaming away. <laughs> Honestly, poor things was so good I immediately returned to my seat to finish the movie and didn't fully realize what occurred until after the film. I have no problem with homosexuality. How is that even close to homosexuality? <laughs> That's more like exhibitionism. Yes. But that was uncalled for if I've been uncomfortable since. <laughs> Wild experience at the theaters. I don't know if that's a gay pickup spot or what, but be careful in uh, movie theater bathrooms. Oh, yeah, poor thing. It's that movie with uh, uh, Emma Stone. And uh, she's, like, naked and doing crazy sex scenes the whole movie. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> she, has a, she has a black bush, if you're ever curious. Emma Stone? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. He just, he's just like, yeah. <laughs> what, did he go see poor thing? Got so entranced by Emma Stone, he went to the bathroom and started jacking off? You couldn't do it in a stall, at least? And it's a... Oh, TG, son of a bitch. Like my erection, no. Uh, people are... people. You think people are weird, but they're not. They are... That is distinctly a human thing. People are... That's how they are. They turned it to 90, 90 degrees so he could see him. Yeah, well, that's the weird part. <laughs> if he had his back to him, he was doing this. You can still tell he was jagging up. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder, uh, like, psychologically, what that guy gets out of doing that. I don't know. And how he would assume there'd be no one, I mean, like... Well, no, he knew that he went in there because he was standing right beside him. Right. Maybe he just likes the idea of someone being in the vicinity of him doing something... Well, he probably seen him looking through the crack. You think he was watching him? Yeah. Maybe. He's, like, looking through the crack because he's trying to be quiet. And he's like, he's just wanting to watch. <laughs> and then he's like... <laughs> Oh shit! <laughs> but the word of uh, scurrying, he sent him scurrying like a rat. I still wish that they, we had two perspectives of the same situation. Yes. So like a week, a week or two later, right? You bring another one, and you're like, so I was at the, I was watching poor things. <laughs> I went to the bathroom and uh, I took a piss. This guy went into the stall, and I just, I got this urge to just jack off. So we get his. <laughs> and then he just started shitting so loud. I just I I got overcome by Emma Stone. I just had to start jacking. 
and like this nasty, disgusting <laughs> fucking sewage of a human being started blowing chunks. Yeah, I just, I had to run. I couldn't deal with it. I ran away and haven't been the same since. <laughs> what if they also sat in there, like, like, a f- like one in front of the other one in the movie? That would have been even funny. You were hilarious. We at least ended up on a funny one. Oh, that was wild. Is he doing what I think he's doing? Yes, he is. <laughs> Believe me, I've seen some weird shit. I saw a guy once. I was uh, restocking some items, and the woman was, like, uh, not next to me, but she was in the same aisle. And uh, her boyfriend popped up, and she's like, how do you like this hot dog? They had his whole fucking dick out. And she was all giggling. I was like, ah, ah. <laughs> Not what you wanted to see that day. No. <sighs> I see a lot of weird shit. I've seen more dick in a flea market than I care to mention. <laughs> Them bathrooms are wild. Did I tell you about the man that was laying on the in, inside the stall, did I? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was a man he fell asleep in, in the stall of the bathroom and uh, uh i go in and there's a crowd okay let me back up the story so i go into the stall and you never go into a stall after six o'clock at a flea market that says serves alcohol because that shit is a it is a war zone <laughs> i go in and there's a, a crowd of people because like it's, it's, it's a long hallway and along the hallway is the urinals there's a, another threshold. After the threshold is a row, is like a, a curve of a sinks. And then on the right side of the curve is uh, the, the, the toilets. Uh, there's like four of them. Three small ones and a big one for handicap. And uh, so there was a crowd of people uh, hanging around the, the, the sinks. I'm like, what the hell are they doing? Someone getting robbed again? So I go in there because I got to piss. I don't give a damn who's getting robbed. <laughs> So I go in there and I look and I look over and this guy's just laying in like all lengthwise. He's laying basically in two in two uh toilets, in two toilet stalls. His ass is completely out, sticking out of the bottom of the fucking toilet. Bare ass. He's he's sleeping in a pilot in a puddle of uh, urine. And he just passed out cuz he was drunk. People thought he got he was dead or he got beat up. Like I know a sleeping guy when I see one. And I could tell from the angle there's no uh a threat like any violence in on his person. And uh, I guess it's, a, it's a, the, the the drawbacks of being a detective-minded. I could already tell it wasn't a crime scene. <laughs> and then I, I get out of the stall, and the security guard had woken him up. And this guy, in the stall, he looked like he was 5'2". When he got up, he was fucking 6'6". Six six. I don't know how the fuck you fit in that stall. Ass out to the wind. Like, bare ass out to the wind, no less. But, man, it gets wild in them toilets. <laughs> That's why you avoid them. I, or you go earlier. Yes. Or you get to go to the porta potties. I never use a journal. Because I just feel like someone can come up behind you, pin you up against the wall, and your pants are already down. <laughs> Game over. I will never use a journal. <laughs> You're too vulnerable. Yes, I am. You usually need two dicks to hold your pants and your dick. One to hold your pants, the other one to hold your dick. Unless you're the lucky one, you got to use both dicks. <laughs> we'll both ask for one dick. Be like butters. And pull your whole pants <laughs> to the fucking floor. And then he lifts his shirt up too. <laughs> Remember the one time he took it, he, he was pissing and he, uh, Carmen was taking a dump. He's like, who's dumping bombs in there? How about a courtesy flush? And then Carmen's like, shut up, butters. Because Carmen was in the toilet just blowing that bitch up. <laughs> He's like, who's dropping bombs in there? <laughs> uh, all right. Anything else said before we head out tonight? Look at eye hurts from laughing. <laughs>
No, I guess not. What is what is what is their dad? Don't jack off. Don't jack off in public. That that would be the moral of this. Uh... And, and if you guys enjoy those public sex, like where people have sex in public or or like in a supermarket or a, or a a fucking uh, auto mechanic place or or an ice cream truck, uh, those are staged scenes. They are not real. You will go to jail. Yes. You absolutely will. If they, if you if you see people fucking in a movie or in a in a in a scene and it's in the supermarket, that supermarket's closed for the day, or they know someone owns that supermarket, they, they let them film there for that day. Do not fuck in a supermarket. No. Don't pull your titties out in the supermarket. Don't. Uh, damn that dude just whipped his whole dick out. <laughs> hey, like that guy. I'll never forget that nasty shit he said. <laughs> All right. Well, with that. We will see you guys on the next episode. Public service announcement. Don't fucking public.